Hello and welcome to episode 187 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And we've named this episode Life of the Party after none other than Super Mario Party, which we'll have impressions of later in the show. Um, two of us actually just spent a good chunk of time playing the game right before recording this, so we'll have like the hottest of hot takes, or whatever temperature a take is about 90 minutes after you stop doing the thing is yeah. where we're at. It's literally as warm as it could possibly be. It's like... Or as hot as it can possibly be for a podcast of this scale, I guess? That Of this scale, yes. A, 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 a podcast as industrious as the Round Town podcast mean, needs a 90-minute There are different levels of podcasts. Some podcasts, I guess, there are some video podcasts. So, in theory, we could have been, like, playing it and then immediately start recording or maybe doing both. We were going to... We were contemplating doing video and then putting it up as a vidbit, and I guess we didn't. I just realized, well, we'll do a vidbit some other time. But anyway, yeah, we have... I wonder what happened. I don't know. You, we're at your house with your computer. You tell me. Well, you're <laughs> clearly to blame him for some reason. Okay, fair. Um, well, not fair, but I'll accept. <laughs> um, but I yeah, so know, that was your first reaction. It wasn't even... I don't know. I don't know. But we'll... Uh, <laughs> One way or another, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is by the end of this episode, you'll hear our thoughts on Super Mario Party. And coincidentally, we're also going to be sharing um, impressions of the new mobile RPG, Dragalia Lost from Nintendo, which also has to do with parties in a role-playing game sense. So kind of nice little synergy there. But before all that, uh, we've got thoughts on everything from reports of a Switch revision to a potential Game Boy phone shell to these two new noble trends in gaming, um, cloud-based games, and the revival of moody a- movie adaptations of basically everything. So we have timestamps over at ramtown.com if you want to jump to any one topic. If you're on our YouTube channel where we did not post the vidbit that in retrospect we probably should have recorded, um, there are timestamps under the video you're watching right now. But without further ado, let's just go right to it. So uh, first up... Let's get right into the nitty-gritty. Let's get right into the... What is that for? Oh, <laughs> Let's get HQ. the show on the road. Yeah, let's get the show on the road. HQDs. We're going to make the moolah. Uh, check the... Cash the check. Aww. I don't know. I'm running out of steam. Uh, first up is the bombshell from the Wall Street Journal that according to sources they have in Nintendo's manufacturing chain, Nintendo is planning to launch a revision of the Switch sometime in mid to late 2019, perhaps as early as next summer. Is and before I go any... by Nintendo standards? So, yes. Well, before I go any further, if there's a low or loud water noise when you're listening to this, folks, it's, we're being rained on. It's weirdly a rainy day in LA. It never happens, but here we are. Anyway, to answer your question... um, yeah, it, it's pretty it typical. Feels early, but I it's mean, not. So here's the thing: they've done these updates pretty consistently, anywhere from like 13 months to like 20 months after the launch of a system. I mean, in Game Boy Advance came out in June 2001, right? And then in March 2003, we got the SP. DS came out in November 2004, uh, summer of 2016, June. We got well, yeah, but the Switch is kind of. I handheld. know that's why. Yeah. Like, so for handheld, just common. Really got one except for like the Wii and the Wii in twenty twelve, maybe got the Wii the Mini. Wii? Yeah, the, they got the well, yeah, the SNES, the I guess, with the slightly smaller one. Was that well? What they did prior is yeah, they had they used to do it with the NES. They used to do it with the SNES. Uh, the N sixty four had the fantastic colors, which was literally just cosmetic. But you uh, remember they look like the IMAX. Been better. But that's out of the the expansion pack already like. Pre-installed in. in it, yeah, or built in, yeah. But, but yeah, it or it, I mean, it wasn't. But it would be nice if it was, like you're saying, yeah. But the uh, yeah, this is for a console. This is uncommon for a handheld. This is very common. Um, but what we what we know at this point is that we don't know that Nintendo doesn't know. As of right now, according to the Wall Street Journal, the specifics are actually still being hatched out by Nintendo of what a revision will mean. 
Um, we don't know what sort of new hardware or software features they'll include. They're weighing the cost of various ideas. The only thing that sounds like it'll be for sure, according to Wall Street Journal, is it'll have a brighter display that allows the system to be more energy efficient and perhaps thinner. So the actual components of the hardware will, or of the screen will be thinner. Um, so as you can imagine, this set off a ton of speculation, which is exactly what we're now going to do. Starting with um, you, Angel. What what do you think of this? Like, I mean, where can Switch or where should Switch, in your opinion, go from here, if anywhere? Does it even need to go anywhere? Are you happy with it as is? I'm pretty happy with it as is, but I remember we had this conversation a long time ago, and um, we were even like, oh. We got background music going. Yeah, Elvis is actually playing one of the newest games. Yeah, so Elvis as- is sitting here checking out PlayStation VR, completely oblivious because he's in a virtual world that his sound is coming out of the TV. <laughs> it's fine. He's now giving a look of horror on his face, but... Hey, we already have rain. What? What's some extra noise? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, yeah. So where where you think where, where you think the deal? No, yeah, um, a long time ago, a long time ago, we talked about the fact that when they were going to do a revision, we were kind of confused about the fact that can they can't really mess with the size because of the mm-hmm. fact that the Joy Cons that would mean they would have to redesign the Joy Cons, which there's no way they're because they're already a fixed size. Like you can't make the screen bigger because then they're going to be smaller than the yeah than the screen or they or vice versa. Yeah, and I feel like Nintendo would never do that. Like they would never. I mean, they could make a bigger one or a smaller one, but they would never make it so... The, they would they would create brand new Joy-Cons, is what I'm saying. This is the com- If they were to go that route. I agree, because this is the company that kept pushing the Wiimote in its exact form factor through the entire Wii U life. Like, they understand legacy stuff like that. Yeah, like, they they're never, not- like if they're not going to touch the Joy-Con side, they're going to figure out some other way to do it. Yeah. But- and they can't really solder them onto a system either. That's something I saw thrown around online. It's like, oh, maybe it's like... Just they're attached, so you just have a handheld switch. Yeah, it's like, but then great, you have but how do you do like Mario Party? Yeah, exactly. How do you do Pokemon Let's Go, which um, requires motion? How do you do? Yeah, especially for so like games. like the Toad's Rec Room. Like that's the thing that want, encourages you to play in tabletop mode, but then you can't do tabletop. You can't do that if they're soldered on. Like it's just impossible. And not only that, but um, you also run into the issue of the entire premise of the system is really hey, at any time you could pop off a controller, give it to a friend, and do co-op. Are they really going to undercut that much? This isn't like 3DS losing 3D and becoming 2DS, where it's just a cosmetic thing. They're literally changing the entire mission statement of the system if they were to attach those controllers. So I think it's safe to say that's not happening. Yeah, I feel like it's just going to be maybe, if anything, like better processor, better speed. It's going to be yeah. like a DS, 3DS to new 3DS. Well, it's interesting because... I, I think there's I kind of two... hope not because then that means that we're going to get games that are like, oh, only on the new one. Well, see, I, I don't think it's going to be that yet because there are two camps. Or I... better on new Nintendo Switch. New Nintendo... Yeah, they would call it something horrible like that. Or Nintendo Switch Pro. Oh, no, Sony already has Pro. They probably won't use Pro. Deluxe. Nintendo loves the word deluxe. Oh, yeah. But no, I don't think they're... Honestly, I don't think they're going to do that. So there's there are two camps, to be fair, that, of where Switch is going to go. One is what you're saying, which is spec boost. And that does, on the surface, make total sense. I mean... That's the new it thing for consoles. You got PS4 Pro, you got Xbox One X. You it, I could see why that would be the thing Nintendo would do. <laughs> Super um, Nintendo Switch. <laughs> actually, it's not a horrible name. Nintendo Super, yeah, Super Nintendo yeah, Switch. That's not bad. From Nintendo Switch, yeah, Super yeah but I still don't think it's gonna happen because, like, as much as these mid-cycle Super consoles are becoming a new thing, and we're seeing it with you know phones and tablets all the time too. If Nintendo were to do that, at most, what I would imagine is they would give it a spec bump that lets it do docked mode in terms of game performance, when undocked. Or maybe the screen on the console is instead of 720p, it'll be 1080p. So, like, there won't actually be anything developers have to do differently. It would just make the handheld experience closer to the console experience. 
And the reason I think that's the farthest they're going to go with that, and like, just to be clear, I don't even think they're going to do like, oh, like any sort of crazy screen beyond a LCD. I mean, the Wall Street Journal report says they're not doing OLED, which is what the new iPhones use. It, we're talking still the same basic tech, just a nicer version of it, if they were spec boost, in my opinion. And I think the reason they'd only do that is because you have to consider third party support. To your point about like, works better on new 3S or whatever, like earlier this year, Reggie went on record that we should expect to see third-party ports come out faster at the end of 2018, the start of 2019, because developers are finally getting the hang of the hardware. Like, Switch was a surprise for a lot of people. It was a runaway success. They didn't expect it. So now they're like, oh, we need to understand this. We need to get games out. And they're only finally starting to do that now. So right as developers are beginning to get comfortable with the current hardware, Nintendo's just going to go, hey, now you need to adapt to this other, more advanced chipset. Like, that's kind of a weird curveball. And let's say they do that. How much support is there even going to be? You mentioned the uh, expansion pack on the N64 earlier. Like, how many games honestly use that thing? Or the new 3DS. That's also something you dropped earlier. I can't think of any besides... Majora. Majora and... And Perfect Dark. Yeah, and Donkey Kong 64, which came bundled oh, with. Oh, that's right. So there are going to be for sure, if they were to do a pro system, in my opinion, there are going to be for sure a lot of good uses of that technology like i bet you metroid prime 4 if they do a pro system that would be a perfect candidate to showcase the advanced specs if hypothetically they do more than just you know a dock mode when undocked but the whole process is just this extra layer of messiness for third-party support like now third parties need to decide if they invest extra to support this more limited audience on the pro model or, or do they face the blowback from the core fans when they don't support it and then the games don't sell well because the fans are bad mouthing it before it comes out like there's all this push and pull it just seems messy and very un nintendo which brings me to reason number two that i personally don't think we're gonna see a spec boost and it's just it's simple that that's not nintendo's mo like we were starting to i was starting to rattle off um their earlier you know the first iterations on past systems you know i mentioned game boy advance went to sp uh ds went to ds Lite, and in every instance of that even going as far back as game boy to game boy pocket to game boy light what happened every time is it was all surface-level, cosmetic, exterior tech changes. So when the Game Boy turned into the SP, what that meant is we got a clamshell design, because it's easier to, you know, it's safer for the system, a backlight, which everyone wanted, and things like removing the headphone jack, which, in retrospect, as annoying as that feature is, Nintendo's weirdly ahead of the curve, because now no cell phones have headphone jacks anymore either. And suppose I never noticed. I mean, I never had an SP, yeah. but... I've played a very good number of them because almost everyone I knew had one, but I never noticed that it didn't have a headphone. Yeah, you had to use a dongle, much like the iPhone. Nintendo was ahead of Apple on that one. It's not a thing I would brag about if I was Nintendo. The lack of headphones is kind of annoying on any device. I mean, I I totally am in the dongle life. I have a laptop that only has USB-C ports. I have dongles everywhere. But, um, yeah, they were first. um, AirPods. I, I do have wireless Beats headphones. Oh, you're good then. Yeah, which have the same A1, uh, A1. W- W1 chip. A1 is a steak sauce. <laughs> <laughs> same same A1 slather all over my headphones. But um, yeah, my point is, so Game Boy to Game Boy Advance, or Game Boy Advance to Game Boy Advance SP was strictly cosmetic. Then if you look at DS, like when that thing launched, that was like a prototype. That thing looked like a janky Star Destroyer toy or something. Like it was weirdly shaped. It was kind of clunky. And then of course... I don't know, 15 months later, June of of uh, 2006, you got the improved design, you got the much-requested longer stylus, you got much better screens, 
it was again a cosmetic thing and even the 3ds you mentioned the new 3ds right as an example of a spec boost but if you recall before we had the new 3ds we had the 3ds xl which was the exact same idea of and they had no spec boost. No, spe- exactly. None of these things have had spec boost. That's my whole point. Like the the XL was literally just, oh, you want a bigger screen, and you want a design that doesn't look like a wedding cake with its three layers, which is Nintendo's analogy, not mine. The original 3DS had a wedding cake style design. Um, yeah, here's here's the opportunity to get. Here's your cleaner design. So the through line for all of this is that whenever you have a first update of a Nintendo hardware platform. It's all surface level. There's no chipset adjustments. There's no power added, nothing of the sort. And it was, as I said, all outward facing. So whatever they do with Switch, I don't expect them to do a spec boost at this time. Maybe the dock mode because you could argue, well, that's not really a spec boost. They're just – it already can do that. They're just putting whatever boost it gets from the dock into the Switch itself. Sure, but like the only time you see Nintendo actually enhance stats, it's or not stats, specs, it's significantly later in life. Like DSi didn't come out till 2009. That's five years after the first DS, and that's three years after DS Lite, or like the new 3DS that you mentioned. It took three to four years, depending on your region, to come out after the first 3DS. What we're looking at here is the tail end, it's about two and a half years after Switch's launch, of what would be the like first round, first iteration, first update. So that range I was talking about where, like, you know, it took Game Boy Advance nearly two years or over two years. It took um, 3DS less about, uh, like, 15 months, 14 months. So it's a pretty big range, but the Switch is in that range just barely. So so then the question becomes, if it's cosmetic, what would it be? I mean, we already talked about it can't be Joy-Cons. Mm. Is there anything you would want visually on your Switch? Like, I can, I know one thing people don't like that you don't mm, care. The thing that would make me want to buy another one because I don't want to have to buy another one. <laughs> so, so Kickstand. So well, Kickstand never bothered you, right? No, the Kickstand I always thought was fine. Because a lot of people find it flimsy. I, I actually today, a coworker and I got a little like, oh, who's better at Mario Kart? So I busted out the Switch in my car and put it on the dash. And the kickstand worked totally fine, and I was winning until the last second when he came back and destroyed me, which I part of the deal of me losing was I had to say this on air, which is why I'm now saying it. But um, yeah, the kickstand for me hasn't been a huge issue, but I know some people don't like it that much because it is not the most stable thing if you put it on a soft surface. I get that. Um, but yeah, I don't really think – besides a better, brighter screen, cosmetically, I don't really think there's anything that a game core gamer, tech-oriented, older person would be super psyched about on a new switch off the top of my head hmm. but who said it had to be for us that's the thing is this isn't a situation where the switch was some weird prototype like the ds was where it somehow came to market and people were like i guess i'll buy this and then they get the one that actually looks right like the switch already looks like a mature device for a tech savvy older core gamer or whatever and this isn't a situation where it needs to get bigger i would argue it's about as big as most people be, would want it. Yeah, it's bigger than the Vita, which and PSP, which a lot of people were really happy with that size and screen. Right. So, I mean, so, so what I'm thinking is, it has to go the other way. Maybe they're going more kid friendly. Because here's the thing: supposedly for for the last year, the 3DS was their entry level system, right? But we've talked about on the show multiple months now that 3DS sales are waning. Hardware is barely selling. Games are coming out, but doing. Not huge numbers. I mean, WarioWare did fine compared to other 3DS games, but compared to other games, period, who knows? It's not up there on the chart whatsoever. And we're getting to the point where new releases are starting to dry up. We know next year we're getting uh, Yokai Watch 3, 
We know next year we're getting the Mario Luigi port. That's it. We know a ton of games coming to Switch in 2019. We only know those two for 3DS. So my theory is if the 3DS, or really the 2DS, is now slowing down in sales, they need a way to capture the kids' market. So a Switch revision that's maybe more kid-friendly, that will allow them to fully sunset the 3DS at long last. It'll allow them to maybe sell it at a cheaper price if they you know, do a few little tweaks here and there. And then boom, you have a Switch that carries a different audience. It's a revision. Bada bing, bada and, yeah, bada bing, bada boom. There you go. Done. And and there is precedent here. This isn't a crazy idea. I mean, obviously, the 2DS. That took the core of the 3DS, wrapped it in a much more kid-friendly design, and it did so, coincidentally, two and a half years after the 3DS launch, which is the exact window of time that the Switch revision would come out, hypothetically. Um, and, and the thing is, like, it stands out, the 2DS, as being Nintendo's first handheld that could really really be tossed around it could be used as a doorstop it literally is the shape of a doorstop and it would be fine the thing was built to be beaten up by kids and since then what nintendo's done is they refined it with the new 2ds xl which a bit more of a traditional form factor but they kept all the rounded corners and the kid proof durability like it's still a pretty easy thing to toss around so my guess here's my prediction as a long build-up but my guess is that what the Switch revision will be is the Switch version of the 2DS XL. They'll toughen it up, they'll make it a bit more tossable, and they'll call it a day. And this whole idea still works with the Wall Street Journal's report because, you know, in the report they said there's a better screen. And the best 3DS screen that has ever been released is on the 2DS XL. Just because you're making a screen a system that's more kid-friendly doesn't mean you can't have a system that also has the nicest screen. So it works. It, I, I honestly think this is what it's going to be. And it would also sync up nicely with what we know about Nintendo's 2019 lineup. It's a great companion system to launch the all-new Pokemon RPG next year. In Europe and Japan, when the 2DS was still a thing, Nintendo made special edition 2DSs, not 3DSs, to promote Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire yeah, at the time. they actually look kind of neat. Right? Yeah, they're pretty cool. So, and I was actually kind of thinking, like, huh, why aren't they making like a other... real system? <laughs> yeah, but... Was there one for Professor Layden or something? I don't know. I, I remember there was a brown one. There was, was a Donkey some... Kong themed one was somewhere. It Donkey Kong themed? I think it was Donkey Kong. I might be wrong, but my but either way, like that alone shows that they can launch this kid friendly Switch in mid to late 2019, and they have Pokemon right there with it and selling units. Like even, I would argue even more so than Pokemon Go, this would be appealing because Pokemon Go, it's a lot of people that what they're trying to do is get people, laps fans and whatnot, who play on their phone to hop over. How many? kids that need a durable my first console also own like the latest iphone or whatever and are playing pokemon go on it do they yeah so do you think but like if you were a parent would okay that's fair so maybe maybe this year versus next year to toss up which pokemon but either way there's a precedent of there being a pokemon game no yeah yeah, yeah. i mean a lot of them do own it but i mean at least i mean i work in a public school in paramount and just from what I've gathered from, like, just talking to the kids, seeing what the kids are playing, like, in parent conference, like, what they have on them, it seems like almost everyone has an iPad, and even those kids still have, like, their own 3DS or 2DS, so mm. it feels like it doesn't really stop them, just the fact that they have it. Right. Just that, I guess now, I guess for parents, they'll be like, well, they have the iPad, like, well, you already have an iPad, I'm not going to buy you the normal Switch, I guess this alternative Switch, which I, which I would assume would be cheaper. I would assume it'd be cheaper. Would definitely be way more appealing. I mean, because the 2DS is cheaper than the 3DS. The 2DS XL is cheaper than 3DS XL. Um, mm. It would appeal to them because it would be more durable, so parents don't have to worry about it looking. Because so, the, so let's what, be honest, the Switch so what looks fragile. Are they 
cutting to make it more durable. Not, if anything, they're not necessarily cutting. They're just literally making it durable. Wouldn't that make it more expensive? Well, if you don't have to, refine I mean, they, the, they have to cut. They have to cut costs somewhere. That's true. Perhaps the new screen components will be cheaper. You know, as things get commodified, they go down in price. Perhaps some of the HD rumble and all that is now commodified and cheaper to produce. So it could be instead of doing a price cut, they introduce this lower price model that has all the same features, but they're more commodified at that uh, point. That's true. But also the thing that if, if like if you look at a switch, it does not look the most. It looks, not, I wouldn't say fragile, but it does not look like like something you give to a small child to be like your first game console. So I I would imagine it would look as weird as it sounds, and the Joy Cons would still have to work. But I'd imagine I will give it that some it aspects will look chunkier than it looks for sure. It does, it does. But if you're a parent and you're looking so at considering like you know the Joy Con split, and it's like, huh, it still feels solid. But... It, do, it feels very solid. Don't get me wrong, the thing is like a rock, but it's just you don't necessarily notice. Or maybe they'll put like I'm just trying to think like the 2DS was such a radical change in design because it went to like a, literally into the shape of a doorstop. But um, so I don't really know what they could do with Switch, but there are ways you could make it more durable. There are things about the Switch that if you look at, even in some on some level, the Joy Cons. I don't think they would phase out working with old Joy Cons, but maybe they'll come out with new Joy Cons where things aren't so fragile and tiny. And I don't know, like maybe the start and select buttons are bigger, like mm. little things like that. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, because like look yeah. at the 2DS. The buttons are like massive. <laughs> They're massive and hugely plastic. Versus like fine like rubber or something, so they could do stuff like that. I don't know, but it includes Hori Joy Cons instead of the standard. Yeah, yeah, no gyro, no vibration. So therefore, it's cheaper. Yeah, I mean, it could be something like that. Just because they're saying it has a better screen doesn't mean it doesn't drop other stuff. But I seriously doubt they would do that because gyro a lot of games use like Mario Party. I don't the rumble. They they might be able to get away with it, but again, Mario Party has a whole mini game selection where you have to use the rumble. Yeah, and one two switch. How will the children? play one two switch yeah yeah but uh yeah so whatever form it takes i think it is gonna be a more kid-friendly thing and even if the pokemon thing doesn't pan out like let's say it comes out in the earlier half of the rumor the wall street journal has which again could be as soon as summer i think that also theoretically plays into these rumors of when animal crossing switch is coming out uh there's a rumor in part that stems or that stems in part from um pixel par who correctly predicted or leaked the animal crossing reveal in the latest nintendo direct right before it aired and uh, if if they're not just a lucky guesser, word is that Animal Crossing could launch as early as Q1 or Q2 of 2019, meaning before end of June. And what that translates to, knowing Nintendo, is Animal Crossing will be out as, as early as June. Forget the Q1 thing. It's not – no, there's no way Animal Crossing is out in March. It probably June's probably the earliest. But June is a very good month for Animal Crossing. That's when New Leaf launched in 2013. And just by coincidence, it's also the star of summer and a very good month for launching a system with a big game. DS Lite, the most successful revision Nintendo's ever done, that launched with New Super Mario Brothers in a month of June in 2006. So they could either do, they could either do Pokemon later in the year, they could do Animal Crossing in the first part of the summer. Either way, they have a game that they could pair with this revision and make it, and both games happen to be kid-friendly. So there you go. It's all pure speculation. I mean, I could easily be building a wild conspiracy theory as much as I'm making a prediction. Like, I got that whole cork board full of strings, like the crazy detective work thing. Um, but I don't know. It, it makes sense to me. It checks out. I think, like, it plays into Nintendo's goal of getting multiple Switches in every household, which is something they're now saying they want to do. That's why they sell the dock separately in Japan and dockless versions and all that. I mean, they sell the dock separately here, too, actually. I take that back. But... The, the idea is they want 
a lot of switches. They want people to double, triple down on switch and what better way to do it than to make switches that appeal to different people versus just trying to cater to the exact same audience twice. So I don't know. I mean, what what do you think? Do you think the kid-friendly route's the way to go or would you prefer Um, a pro one? Uh, I guess I would say I'd prefer the kid-friendly route. So you don't have to buy it? Yeah, I don't want to have to buy any. I just bought a PS4 in April. PS4 Pro. And Daniel doesn't care. I know. <laughs> that, well, you just asked me, what do I prefer? I know, I know, I know. Come on, man. Also, Thunder didn't like my snappy comeback there. The storms, well, the storm disapproves. Either, so... Yeah. Maybe your anger just powering the thunder. But uh, So you're cool, kid-friendly, just so it stays out of your way. I get that. Yep, out of the way. Yeah. I, I think if there were any actual like concrete information we could take away from this, whatever the system ends up being... It's probably two things. First is the timing of this report kind of sucks for Nintendo, right? Like they're hanging to the holiday season. They want to move a ton of Switch units. I mean, they're, they're, they have that goal of 20 million sold this fiscal year. And while I don't think this is going to cause a lot of people at all to back away from buying it, like it's not going to cause this huge drop in sales, but it does sort of undercut oh, some a of lot their of people intentions. Are ready to get it for Smash Brothers. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is they have bundles we of know Pokemon. at least two people that will buy it. Smash Brothers. Yeah, I know. Also, two. Huh. One of which overlapped with yours, I think. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But yeah, I mean, like Smash will sell systems. Pokemon Let's Go as a bundle as well. That's going to sell systems. The Fortnite bundles even going to sell some systems. But there's probably a small handful of folks who are now choosing to wait and see what happens with Switch and whatever this revision is. And Nintendo might have had them in their pocket if the Wall Street Journal didn't leak this. But on a second level. I almost feel more bad for like the accessory makers than Nintendo themselves. So like cases, those are quick to pump out. Those are quick to turn around. But there are some more ambitious projects in the works that are just kind of like, oh, do do they now have to wait to see what this revision is? Does it make sense to proceed? Really what I'm thinking about here, what I'm actually building towards is a specific product. Which you're it's worried about? It's crazy. I'm not really worried, but I'm just wondering like what do people in those situations do? Like okay. knowing the revision this far out sort of – is a blessing in disguise and that lets them plan accordingly but also kind of hurts them because now they don't know what to do and specifically it's this what i'm talking about is this crazy speaker doc combo thing it's from the company called uh yes ojo or yes ojo they are the guys i believe that did the pico projector switch dock and what they now have is it's only in a prototype phase it won't even hit indiegogo until early 2019 but it's you put your switch in tabletop mode into this speaker base thing and it gives you eight hours of playtime. It charges the Switch. And it has these two giant speakers on either side of the Switch that match the color of the Joy-Con and provide a lot more sound and a lot so more bass So you're still doing tabletop mode just on a stand that charges it and provides... Yeah, but it's kind of cool in the way that Bluetooth speakers are kind of cool. Like more often than not, I have zero reason to use a portable Bluetooth speaker. But then like you and I and some friends went camping and the Bluetooth speaker really kind of came in handy. It's just like, oh, that'd be cool if we're playing Switch and you can actually like hear it at a louder volume or play it for more than an hour before its battery starts going or whatever it may be so it's one of those things like in certain situations it seems cool and i could see it because it looks really nice it looks like the i like the look of it a lot but now it's like from their perspective from yes ojo's perspective okay we're crowdfunding the speaker in early 2019 depending on the switch's revision design like maybe half the console sold in the year 2019 won't even fit in our new docks so yeah it really does what nice. do we do right yeah yeah it's nice um, but yeah, so I imagine that that's somewhat frustrating for that team. And again, it's sort of a blessing in disguise in that they can plan appropriately, but it also kind of sucks that they were all probably gung ho on it. And now they're like, 
not sure what to oh, do. Oh, wow. It supports other devices, too. That's yeah, it's a, it's also a Bluetooth speaker. Yeah. <laughs> of course. That'd be kind of funny. Like, it's actually not it's a... It's only... Bluetooth. You only can play the Switch. And only the Switch. But, yeah. Um, so, we'll just have to see where this whole Switch revision thing goes. I mean, 2018 was the first year since, I don't know, like the early 2000s that Nintendo didn't have a single piece of new hardware released in a year. So, in a way, this revision was bound to happen. Uh, but what form it takes, who it caters to, what its purpose is, those are all things we probably won't learn to next year. I don't think we'd hear a peep about it until one, the first or second direct in 2019, if even that. It might be later in the year. But it's something that's happening. It's coming. A lot of people are hyped for different reasons. A lot of people are begrudgingly accepting it for different reasons. But it's happening. We're getting the first revision. Nintendo's treating the Switch like a handheld instead of a console. Oh. So, so that's where we're at. That's where we're at. That's where we're at. But in the meantime, before while we wait for that, since speculating is so much fun, there is one other little report rumor that sprung up. And this one actually comes courtesy of Nintendo themselves. They have patented a smartphone case. And not just any smartphone case, mind you, but one that's also kind of a Game Boy. So back in March of 2017, but only now first coming to light because the U.S. Patent Office actually published it, Nintendo filed a patent for a phone case that also functions as a Game Boy. How it works is that instead of like just being a normal case, it has a cover. And that goes over the front of your phone, and on the front of that cover are full a full set of Game Boy buttons. All of which would correspond presumably to on-screen touch points that the software running on the phone could read. And then, where the screen would be, there's a cutout, of course, in the case. And then what you're seeing is your phone screen, but it's playing what looks like a Game Boy game in presumably green and black or green and gray or whatever technically this patent never says anything about actual video games never even mentions the word game boy or the words game boy never mentions an app it's just a case but like come on what else would this be for who's gonna put a case on the top of their phone that's a little window and doesn't it doesn't play game boy games so so this is apparently a thing maybe there's an app that literally just um it doesn't play any games but it just shows you the date and time in that tiny little square so when you put the screen when you put the case on like it just it's just a clock well you know, <laughs> you know what's funny is for a while there there's some android companies i think htc and a couple others that did that they had like yeah, and samsung yeah yeah, yeah no they had like those like custom yeah. like i guess phone cases it's like a little book like when you close it yeah it does like a custom i guess little it's a little window and knowing nintendo they would be three it late could, that's what I, that's what i pictured actually knowing nintendo they would be three years late to market with something like that yeah They'd be like, hey, we heard these clocks cool. What if it also looked like a Game Boy? But the only reason I think it's probably more than that is the buttons, the actual Game Boy buttons. Like, you can fake. You wouldn't need a Or do you think maybe case. they just created the patent so other people can't do that? It's possible. But then you got to wonder, like, I mean, could that, this be Game Boy Classic? Yeah, that's been a thing. I know there's, yeah, there, there's, there's like a, a Game Boy party one. Yeah. But I, I'm just thinking Nintendo has a huge runaway hit on their hands with NES Classic and Super Nintendo Classic. N64 Classic's probably coming. Game Boy Classic. Well, maybe never. Game Boy Classic, this is how you would do it, presumably. Because here's the problem. With the NES and the Super Nintendo, the gimmick is they shrunk down the original system and they preloaded it with games, but the controllers are still the same size. So you still have the ergonomics of the controller. When your system is also your controller, like a Game Boy, you're stuck with two problems. You're either forcing people to hold a now not ergonomic system, like a cramped mini Game Boy with a tiny screen, or you're stuck with producing a full-size Game Boy that just doesn't play Game Boy games, and that's like, well, what is this? It's just a Game Boy without 
with a closed off cartridge slot. It's a, like it's not really a classic thing. It's, there's nothing unique. So it's just are you gonna have to Boy. connect it to Bluetooth via Bluetooth? Because I mean, presumably. I would imagine so. Otherwise, they're gonna have to like include multiple ports on the bottom. It's like no, oh, it, it would have Bluetooth. It'd be Bluetooth. Yeah, that's what it would have to be. Yeah. So yeah, the- theoretically, and I guess it would also have to be kind of like um the collected edition of Fallout Four came with like a Pip Boy. It'd be like that, and it had like a bunch of different like foam inserts to so in case you put like an XL phone or a small phone, that way like it could be a one size fits all. It would be that, or Nintendo would produce a couple screen sizes. Like, they can easily, if it was for iPhone, just do two sizes. Although now it's less easy because the 10s and the 10s Max throw things off. But, but yeah, they'd have to work through that. So who knows if it actually were to materialize. But the beauty of a solution like this is it addresses any potential issue a Game Boy Classic would have. It just is the alternative. It, like, it, it, you can't do a real Game Boy well, Classic. the original Game Boy, so you can do the next I'm pretty best sure thing. it's bigger than any phone there is out there except right. maybe the Note. Right. No, it's definitely thicker. It's like a brick. No, no. Well, I mean, that's supposed to be like longer, like bigger dimensions-wise. I don't know if it's bigger than the Note, but if they're just targeting like, like a smaller phone, then it certainly covers anything. They could just do kind of like a... You twist something so it just tightens on the inserts so they don't have to create any inserts. Right, but, right. Oh, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Like the like what PlayStation VR does for the yeah, literally that. or Vive or, or any, any of them. Kind of Oculus. Yeah. Matter, but yeah. Yeah, that could work. I mean, because it's, it's one of those things that you can... Yeah, it's one of those things that it just seems so logical for them to do. Because here's the other thing is you can still have it preloaded with games. You just make the games an app and then you put it all together in a way... You know, by having it like this, you're still kind of mirroring the classic line and you have it fit every phone or whatever. But you're doing it in a way that doesn't actually ruin the intention of what you're trying to do. So the timing also works. I mean, right now we're in that huge 90s revival. And since around the time of this patent, since like early 2017, Nintendo's begun to very heavily license out the name, the look, and the branding of the original Game Boy. It's almost like they're priming the pump for a Game Boy Classic of some sort, whatever form it takes. So the question becomes... Let's say they do this, right? Let's say they have your cool little twisty ergonomic thing. Would you buy this? Would you buy a case for your phone that turns it into essentially a Game Boy? And presumably they figure out the button so they feel normal and not like too squishy or too weird and Probably all that. Probably not because my Game Boy is still within reach. Yeah, see, that's kind of my concern too. Is and like, it works and then, and then on top of that, it's like all the games I do want to play because obviously I don't want to revisit any every game. All the ones I do care about, I also have access to on my 3DS. So, That's true. Yeah. yeah, I feel like With I feel the like fake it's 3D of... effect that makes it look like the screen is. Oh yeah, they've already done fake but real Game Boys. Yeah, but yeah, I feel I feel like I'm sort of in the same boat as you actually because it's. I mean, it's the same problem I had with a potential N64 classic. I still have my N64 hooked up to my TV, so there's an actual thing I want to play the N64 Classic or the Game Boy Classic just aren't as compelling as an NES or Super Nintendo were because I never owned those. So that was like, oh, I can finally own these games in some capacity on one device that has that controller from that era. But like as a collectible item, I would consider the Game Boy thing. It's pretty cool. And I imagine I imagine this would be the case with the Game Boy as well. But no pun intended. But I imagine that um, it would just be cool. It's like, oh, look at this weird quirky thing Nintendo made. They've never done something like this, so I would probably buy it for that. Um, but what actually offers is arguably less compelling, because I still have my Game Boy 2. I'm in the same boat. But then again, actually, I take that back, because I have a bunch of Game Boy games in particular that I've never played and always wanted to. They are on 3DS, but I never got them there. But they're all included on one app. I 
sure, why not? Like, Mario Land 2 I never played, Link's Awakening I never played, Metroid 2, like, all these games, and that would probably convince me. And actually, now that I think about it, if they did a Game Boy Classic, or like, a Game Boy Classic case, or whatever you want to call this thing, whatever it ends up being, it could have a really cool lineup, because you got Mario, you got Zelda, you got Pokemon, you got Pokemon spinoffs like Pokemon Training Card Game, you got the Wario Lands, the Kirby Dream Lands, the Obviously, they'd have to do Tetris. That was the thing that kicked off Game Boy. I mean, are there any... Yeah, I, I can't even think of any other good Game Boy... What were some of your favorite Game Boy games? I can't even think of any of that besides those. I mean, sense. I wouldn't even say necessarily Game Boy. Or Color. Oh! Yeah, for Color, I mean, like, I mainly got into, like, Kirby's Tilt and Tumble. I love that game. Wait, there's an idea. Actually, Kirby's Tilt and Tumble gives me a second idea. If they were to do it through an app right like if it was a case and you put your phone in you can download additional game packs so they can literally use this exact same case to then sell you on game boy color games and what's cool about like curvy tilt and tumble or even like something like uh pokemon pinball is they can leverage what the phone has built in the gyro the rumble all that to simulate what those cartridges did back in the day and they don't need to get people to buy multiple hardware they can just sell them the game app packs and probably make more money than they would on one-offs like the NES or Super Nintendo. Because presumably they can get the same number of initial sales, but then double down and triple down on those people. So that, your Game Boy Color thing is actually a really interesting idea. Mm. Well, That'd be cool. That'd be nice. I kind of hope they do this now. I mean, it's, it's, important, it's, it's of course important to emphasize that right now this is only a patent. All these dreams of a Game Boy on your phone that, you know, as of right now, they're just dreams there's no guarantee this is gonna be real especially since up until this patent service uh surface nintendo always towed the line of our mobile experiences need to be unique we can't just port things over this presumably would sort of circumvent that because it provides something unique but yeah i don't know this this to me is how you do a game boy classic i would rather have this over since they're small yet big yet sealed off yet not yet weird actual physical game boy object yeah yeah, no, so, would, I mean that would be the ideal way. I agree. Yeah, and it and it can appeal to so many people, and it just it'd be cool. It'd be cool. So I I assume Nintendo's all, clearly Nintendo's thinking about this because they patented it. But if someone from Nintendo's listening, like I'm gonna go ahead and greenlight this idea for you guys. Do it. You should do it. So so that's the two like crazy new Nintendo hardware things that have been going on lately. Um, to step back from Nintendo specifically for a bit. One trend I've been finding to be more and more fascinating personally, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but is this growing market for cloud gaming. Like conceptually, cloud gaming is pretty wild. I mean you've got a server sitting somewhere else running a game at full spec. It's beaming it to your device via your connection. It's taking your inputs. It's sending them back to the server, then sending back the response all seamlessly or at least near seamlessly or hypothetically it should be seamlessly. And what's been interesting – in these past couple weeks even really since just our last episode is the whole concept just feels like it's exploded in significance out of nowhere i mean microsoft they just announced an entirely new service called project x cloud it'll let you stream xbox xbox games to pretty much any device you can imagine phone tablet tv it'll lean pretty heavily on their existing cloud infrastructure they have the azure uh, azure platform and there's worldwide data centers that mean lag will be a minimum they're in something like 140 different countries so more so than some of the other attempts, this actually sounds like it would have pretty low latency and be able to be pretty seamless, which is cool. Um, they're only testing it right now, but the idea ultimately is to offer a full range of first and third-party games. 
and you can play them wherever, whenever, however. It's basically Sony's ex- existing uh, PlayStation Now. Only difference is there's more data centers, so that's in their favor. So that was announced, right? And then in the same week, Google announced their own thing called Project Stream. And this goes even one step further. You're not just playing on what devices you want. You're playing inside your Chrome browser. It's like you're watching a YouTube video, but it's fully interactive. And right now it's only in beta. They're doing it with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And uh, from what I've heard, it actually worked pretty well even on slower connections. You only need 25 down. For it to work. That kind of reminds me of um, back in Santa Barbara. I always remember hearing about something called Gaikai. Right. And oh yeah, did that become PlayStation now, or was that online? No, that that became that was followed up by PlayStation. I believe. Okay, yeah. And I always remember because I had a, I had a MacBook Pro, but, I mean, but but it wasn't. At that point, I feel like Steam, like Steam, wasn't even like fully compatible with Mac. I feel like it wasn't, like I got around the time that they finally did the. The transition over and Team Fortress even had this whole big event where you could get like Apple earbuds on the characters just because you got Steam for the first right, time. Right, right. Oh, yeah, we played Portal when they did yeah. that. So, oh, yeah, and Portal was free and it's pretty good. Grand, cool. so, so, like, so, not many games were like compatible. Like, barely a lot of games were like I had to run like Left 4 Dead and I think like Half Life on lower settings, but I mean, it, it worked. But yeah, overall, I couldn't really play a lot of games. So I was right. like, oh man, I kind of want to play this or that. And obviously, most of them are only on Windows, and I would have to get a mirroring, and I don't want to do that with or my buy Mac. parallels, which only yeah. kind of half works. And I mean, some people have uses for that. But eventually, Gaikai came out, and I tried it out. And I tried it out with Crisis, of all things, which is. Well, if you're going to do it, go big. Get yeah. the craziest PC game you can get yeah, at the and that's time. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't really know how good that game is but i know like anytime like visual fidelity or power is involved people always use crisis it was a benchmark yeah, it was yeah benchmark. i don't know what it is now but for a while like it was always like oh can it run crisis and i mean i guess it ran it like the graphics looked really nice how like stuttery was it or how laggy was the input yeah that was the only thing like the input felt I remember feeling very laggy. I remember not even really being able to pick up or really exit the first building just oh. because it was that laggy. Oh, yeah. So it was kind of more like, well, at least it works. To be um, fair, this was also in like 2010. Yeah, one right? game that did actually run pretty well and I got to play a little further ahead was um, Dead Rising 3? No, it was Dead Rising 4 with Frank West. Um, And that was pretty cool. I mean, I got to play far enough where I was like, wow, I'm like, I kind of forgot I was playing on the Mac. until It I just kind of worked. Yeah. So, uh, see, see, that's interesting because, like, that's been the thing that to me has always held this back, which is why I was making such a point that, like, Microsoft is using their cloud platform that's everywhere already. Is if you're going to do a cloud, you got to, like, latencies are, or, like, lag is really an issue. I mean, single player games maybe could put up with it. Like, Dead, uh, Dead Rising probably worked fine because you just adapt to the slight delay and you know to press things when to press things and it all works accordingly, right? But, like, what about something like Call of Duty where, like, milliseconds count? How is that ever going to work? Like, I, I imagine as internet speeds get better, these issues will become less of a problem. I'm sure cloud gaming today is significantly better than when you tried it in 2010. Yeah, you need to have the service but... close to you. Because, I mean, even, like, I, like, I've seen the videos of those people that downloaded the Resident Evil 7 beta here in the U.S. Right. And even though they have, like... Um, like Talk about on Switch, right? Yeah, on yep. Switch. Like, as yep. best internet as you can possibly get it was still extremely laggy and would lose connection like which is within why a couple minutes. So, only officially on Japan yeah so it's like I mean it makes sense but at the same time I mean, we're able to play online with people from Japan but I mean it's a completely different 
Yeah, well, the, yeah, the data packets are so yeah. smaller for that. But, but yeah, the reason – so you kind of tipped my hand here with the Resident Evil 7 thing. The reason I'm bringing this all up right now is because unlike things like 4K or VR or even proper online voice chat, Nintendo has actually embraced cloud gaming very early on. I mean it's more hands-off than Microsoft or Google are doing, but along with Resident Evil 7, Fantasy Star runs in – uh, in the cloud in Japan on Switch and just uh, the other day I think Assassin's Creed Odyssey also came to Switch as a cloud based game and they're doing well enough that they're now more on the way Capcom is is uh, they already said they're looking into other games to bring to Switch in a cloud capacity presumably that points to games that won't run on the system Have otherwise it's been multiplayer? what? because Resident Evil no I don't think so Odyssey Odyssey I, I, I is not in a Assassin's Creed have multiplayer. I don't know. I know they did at some point, and it was like almost like a core Fancy Star is. It's an online. It's an MMO. Yeah, but it's like a slower. It's like yeah. So it's like I could picture them doing Monster Hunter, but then again, the game is all about online. Like offline would work great, I would imagine. Yeah, but I don't know. But yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see. But it's just it's kind of crazy to me that never mind what games they're picking. The fact that they're picking more games. Like how is it that the Switch is somehow at the forefront of all this cloud stuff all it's it's weird like it also by the way to circles back to the switch rumors or the switch revision reports um just goes to show that you know even more reason why nintendo doesn't need to do a spec boost because some of these more elaborate games that need more impressive hardware can just do it through the cloud that's the real reason capcom wants them to bump up the ram so supposedly that is they oh yeah they did want that i thought yeah it was like maybe it was like specifically requested by well capcom. it should be a ram issue because they're just streaming around yeah, I mean, because if you can run Assassin's Creed That's in true. your Ram- browser, in your Chrome tab... Yeah, RAM yeah. is more for running other programs simultaneously. Which is weird, because then Capcom didn't do anything with that RAM. Yeah. Yet. I mean, they poured a 3DS game, they poured another 3DS game, and then they poured a bunch of Super Nintendo games. So I don't really know what they're... Not just Super... I mean, they poured all the Street Fighter ones. Not all of them are Super Nintendo. True, true. But, I mean, there's none that are, like, RAM intense yeah. at all. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's just... I. It's interesting that we're now at this point with Switch, with Cloud. And and I think the key part of that is that as Nintendo fans who own Switches, it's not just Nintendo's at the front of this cool new tech. We're at the front of what is – we're at like the forefront of what is going to probably be a pretty tectonic shift in how we play games. Because here's what's interesting about Resident Evil 7 and Assassin's Creed on Switch. You don't buy them. You rent them. You're paying for access and not the game itself. So Resident Evil 7, you you pay every 180 days $18 to access it for the next 180 days. Assassin's Creed costs $75, which is a smidge under the typical retail price in Japan for a game. And that gives you 740 days of access. That, to me, is a huge shift in the mindset of like how you access games in that it's all remote rental. Like Anyone who's listened to the show for a while knows that I'm old school and like to have physical copies of my games. But meanwhile, you, Angel, like you're savvy enough to download many of your games. I've gone with the times. Well, yeah, you got with the times. And as a result, you don't have to fill with cartridges. You don't have them spill all over the E3 show floor. And then you don't have to deal with the thing where you boot up the game, ready to play, only to have an update and you can't play. The future so, like, is you're now, in the future. Man. But here's the thing about the next wave of future here. You and I, at the end of the day, both still, quote unquote, own our games in the traditional sense, right? Like they, we put money down. We got a game. We have that game forever. We can go back to it. I mean, we can choose to rent games from Gamefly or like back in the day, you know, I'd go Blockbuster, Lawn, rent N64 games, but that was an option. It wasn't the de facto only way to play. 
But with cloud gaming, what's happening is we'd be switching to not actually ever owning any game. We'd be renting them whether we want to or not. Like, you'd be paying X amount of dollars to play through a game, not to have access to that game for the rest of your life. You're literally paying for the playthrough or multiple playthroughs or whatever, as long as they're willing to give it to you. You can't go back to it. You can't revisit it in a few decades like we can do with an NES or Super Nintendo game. Once Ubi or Capcom or maybe Nintendo one day turns off the server, it's gone for good. It's just such a crazy different approach to how we used to think about accessing video games. Yeah. That's, it's like you don't really think when you're like, oh, cloud computing, that's cool, or cloud gaming, that's cool, it's different. But like ownership of games would kind of fall to the wayside, which is kind of weird to me. I mean, in, in a way, the industry's been kind of grooming us for this. I mean, games as services are kind of already doing this, just on a smaller scale. Like, they're doing it, not just doing it on a smaller scale, they're doing it, like, within the permanent structure of, like, a purchase or download. So, like, oh, I still have this thing I could cling on to, but within it, stuff may change. So, like, I remember when Splatoon first came out, I had a concern that without the server running, the game's basically dead in the water. And sure enough, that is proving to be the case with, like, Splatoon 2, because, you know, they announced... Um, last week that they're doing the uh what are they calling it the splatoween their halloween event and you get to pick whether you're on team trick or team treat and by the way team treat is clearly the correct choice and anyone who says otherwise i don't know what you're doing with your life but uh to tie in with that you know it's a pretty typical splat fest but to tie in with that they're giving Inkopolis, like the hub area a complete halloween makeover all the characters have special masks they can wear which is more than they've ever done cosmetically and it's cool it's there it's fun and then it disappears just as quickly and we're all fine with that, myself included. So, like, on a small scale, we're already kind of getting this idea that what you get in a game is not what you get to keep in a game. But now it's just so much better. You know, actually, perhaps a um, more prominent example or a better example would be Fortnite. Because Platoon, they may rotate out cosmetic stuff, but Fortnite is actually changing up gameplay entirely. Like, the game you download from the eShop is not necessarily the one you're playing months later, which is not necessarily the one you can now re- you can then revisit a year after that. I mean, we saw it first with, I think it was a playground mode, where it was just kind of a free-for-all, you do what you want, you're not really killing. Um, and now that's gone. And more recently, just this past week, they announced uh, what honestly sounds like a really cool new mode called Disco Domination, where you, uh, you hold down dance floors around the map. So they're really leaning in on the emoting thing. The more you dance on the dance floor the higher you build this uh dancing meter does First, that mean i missed out on playing on that four player co-op against like waves of monsters or something i think it's gone now huh which is my whole point right but this this mode i'm actually really into because it's like they even added respawning so it's all about two teams of 32 trying to have disco domination so if you die they'll bring you back because they want you to get back to that dance floor and do whatever dumb emotes you're gonna do and... yeah but but the thing is with that much like your uh, zombie or your four, well, I don't know what to call it, zombie mode that you're describing, or the um, playground, this is going to vanish pretty soon, I'm sure. This is a temporary thing. You have no way to go back to playing this mode when you want to play it. As much fun as it may be, as much as badly as you may want to, once Epic is like, yeah, you're done, you're done. And weirdly, nobody seems to mind that. Maybe it's because Fortnite was always built this way from day one. Yeah, I mean, that's also kind of like Overwatch. Like, I don't yeah. play it, but I've seen Elvis play throughout the year. And, like, during winter, they had, like, a like a snowball mode where everyone gets to throw snowballs. They get mm-hmm. to build snowballs. And then Halloween, they had, like, this Frankenstein, like, wave thing. And then they also have, like, a store, like, an actual story mode that, like, because like, it normally doesn't have one. Right. And 
you can only play it for like a couple months and then, then it's, it's gone. gone and then if you wanted to get that lore it's like well I guess you have to read the comics or watch videos yeah and like on and then s- every summer they have the summer games and they have different summer games so if you missed out on the summer games then you have to wait till next summer if they even do it next summer and on some levels they probably will but you know right right and on some levels it is cool like having the meteor crack or the sky crack coming in- back yeah, yeah, it keeps you coming back. Like the thing in Fortnite where the sky cracked, the dimension thing. That was really cool. Hearthstone is doing all Hollow's End right now because they have their own holidays that aren't quite our holidays. And I feel like for games like that where you're like sort of – Winter Veil is Christmas. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for games like that, it kind of makes sense because you're buying into – especially with Fortnite, uh, less so with any game of service actually. You're downloading a living, breathing thing. You're playing a thing that you go in from Sounds the beginning. Weird. No, like yeah. existence. I know. Yeah. It, it has a mind of its own. It will murder you if you don't play it enough. But no, you ha- you're playing this thing that you know from the very beginning is going to be like this. Like it doesn't feel weird to lose things because things are being added and lost all the time. That's just how it is. I mean think of it this way. They're releasing a physical version of Fortnite for the holidays. It's coming out through WB Games. It'll come preloaded with gear and items. And even then, I, Mr. Likes to Buy Physical Games, have zero interest in getting Fortnite physical because that's not what Fortnite is. It's this ever-changing thing. We know it's an ever-changing thing, so we're cool with it being an ever-changing thing. Where things get weird for me, though, I think, is when more traditional games are being put into this like ephemeral space. I mean, frankly, no matter how much some type of game experiences have primed me for this, like how much Fortnite's made this seem normal, how much Splatoon's made it seem normal, I'm not sure I want Mario or Zelda to only be accessible when Nintendo wants it to be. And then I sort of buy into it with a subscription, and then it goes away when I don't. Like, that seems weird. Like, when it comes to media, I'm I'm rather traditional. I, I don't mean, like, the physical car- cartridge stuff. I mean... I'm the guy who still doesn't have a streaming music service. I like to build out a library. I like to determine in the music case if music is worthy of being in that library. And then I like to weirdly go through the motion of adding it, syncing it to my phone and be like, yeah, I really like this song. This is now in my library forever. I'll admit it's odd, but it's just kind of nice being like, I can revisit this whenever I want. You know, uh, like maybe like, because a lot of people compare video games to movies, right? But I would say, at least for me, it's more analogous to music. Because for many games, you don't just play it once. Like I may watch a movie only once. I like to go back. I can experience it under different circumstances with different people. I like the nostalgia. I know this is me personally. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, because movies – You're like like that with movies. Yeah, because I watch movies multiple times. But even then, so your movie situation – That's how I like to compare movies to video games. Your movie situation and my music situation both butt heads with what cloud gaming would mean for the future. Because you don't get the option to go back whenever you want and watch it again or play it again. And I don't get the option to have, oh, I, I really like this song. I want to play it now. And then going, oh, um, Spotify just chose to remove the song. No, but I know what you mean. Like For me, like movies is kind of like how you said with your music. Like, yeah. I I like knowing like, oh, all right, this movie is worthy of me buying it. Like That's why like all the movies I buy, like I'm really picky with which movies right, I buy. Because exactly I have it like on that me. shelf. Yeah. But I like it when they come with a digital copy just because, cool, I have it on my shelf. I'll just have them all in this bank over here, but yeah, like it, it doesn't like, even have to be. Yeah, uh, but it feels like extra special when they're like the ones that I own physically. But I like, mean, like, even I, in that case, I don't even care about physical. Most of my music's digital. In this yeah, instance, yeah. I just mean I can act. I own it. I own the hard drive. No, it's no, on. yeah, I mean, no, no. It. Like I, I like that yeah. I can just watch it whenever. Like there are movies that I know are on Netflix that I'll still buy physically just because I want the option to just watch it literally whenever, and right. I don't have to worry about Netflix just choosing sometimes. Oh, what comes and what goes because. I was in the middle of watching the whole Rugrats series and before Great I knew show. it. Great show. I loved it as a kid. And then 
um yeah with like almost done with it i feel and then i think with like a season or two off and then all of a sudden they're just like you know what nickelodeon's out of here yeah and, and it's then... just like could you imagine if our games were like that like there's such especially in gaming there's such a huge culture around like retro gaming and the nostalgia and going back to the classics i know that and could you imagine if, like is all of it always like... going to be there forever or like we're going to do some capcom games at some point or some non or let's here's another weird one let's say a game underperforms there are so many games so many niche games that you or i probably really like that just didn't sell well i think electroplankton is the weirdest experimental cool thing nintendo's done in a long time on ds the little music maker i guarantee you if electroplankton was only available as a cloud game I would not be able to go back to it about six months after it first came out. But today, I can go play it on my DS. And even if it was, uh, even if I was digital only on Switch, it would be on there as long as my hard drive didn't corrupt. Like, I have it. So it's weird that it's not like that anymore. And I get that if you want to argue game is art, then you could argue, well, art isn't around forever necessarily. You know, artists can pull their, ga- their exhibits or do something different with the pieces or whatever, and then you just kind of roll with it. Sure, but there's also a business side to this. And if you're sort of buying into something, you presumably have it. So it's a very weird mental shift that's going to happen if cloud gaming takes off at the extent that it sounds like it's going to. I think there's always going to be a market for people buying games. But if if the industry starts pushing it really hard, I mean, Capcom just today as we went to record, they put out a financial briefing saying they're switching to having games generate revenue over long term. Like they're not going to... They don't care much about the initial launch games. They're more interested in having a few major games that continue pumping money into their profit margin, you know, be it through subscriptions or cloud or whatever it may be. And if that's the way the whole industry is going, even if we're like, oh, we still like physical games, whatever, whatever, we like hard copies or digital copies. If everyone in the industry is like, we don't want to do that, we're just going to make you pay a subscription. Well, if you want to play your games, you're going to play along, which sucks because then we lose. Yeah, I don't know. Does it, are you, it's one of those things you don't think about, but now that I've sort of ranted about it, does it bother you that gaming could go to this? Or are you kind of like, whatever, you'll play what you'll play and it's no big deal? Like, how often do you go back to old games, I guess is what I'm trying to angle at. I mean, I guess I go back to them relatively often. So this could potentially be a problem. I mean, I do play, I do replay sometimes some GameCube games, some NES games, some games that I have no business replaying but i'll just do it because for some reason i just do right right well yeah everyone has i, I mean, mean like, i used oh, to go back to warrior i mean all the time. And I just because we're oh yeah like i've i've replayed rhythm heaven so many times and i still actually plan on replaying rhythm heaven fever on the wii right well i guess on the wii u and obviously and i like we're still going through we're catching up through a lot of um tales games on the ps3 right now we're still making our way to the ps4 and yeah, that would have sucked if, like, for whatever reason, we just wouldn't be able to, like, oh, you missed your chance. Or, that's you know, it. a good example. Like... But I feel like that's really just the case with a lot of, like, just core multiplayer games. And it really sucks for those games that, like, they'll release them on, like, Switch. They're only available digitally. Mm-hmm. And I guess no one really buys them. So then you're just kind of stuck with the husk of a game that you just can't really do anything Yeah. Else because they yeah. literally just designed it around multiplayer. And that's true for the games of service games, too. Because, like, when they cut off Splatoon completely... That's Splatoon 1. You it's only like, have single player. Yeah, so if someone wants to buy like a user, we like, oh, I'll get that Splatoon. Like, well, I could just play yeah. the single player, and that's basically it. Like like I was kind of saying, the industry started pointing us in this direction for a while now. This is the natural evolution of games and services, but it's just like... Yeah, I feel ugh. like a lot of games... Traditional least, games shouldn't go there. At least the games that I would want to replay, I feel like a lot of those are safe forever, for the most part, because they're just single player games. Unless they go full cloud, and then that's mm. that. I mean, Assassin's Creed Aussie, it's on two different cloud services already. What's to not stop Ubisoft in three years from just only doing it on cloud services and then 
turning off the server. Do you remember? You know how many stories there are of Sony prematurely closed, shutting down their online servers for their games on like PS3 and 4. Imagine that for single player stuff. That's kind of my concern. Well, so, I mean, time will tell. Yeah. But it is a weird thing. I mean, I, and to be fair, it may be less of a big scary jump than it seems on the surface. Uh, my my fixation it certainly lies on the surface level fear of what could happen, but. There are examples where this is actually kind of potentially a cool opportunity. I mean, look at Switch Online's NES library. Now, this isn't actually a cloud service. It's kind of mimicking a cloud service. You do download everything, but Nintendo's in total control of it. And it's cool that in this instance, at least, you have new games just randomly pop up monthly. And Nintendo's doing some interesting stuff by leveraging the fact that they do control the library remotely. So just the other day, they released the October games, which are Super Dodgeball, um, Solomon's Key, I think, and... NES Open Tournament Golf. Is that the mm-hmm. other one? Yep. But the one that stuck out at me as significant and the one I actually wrote down on my notes here, <laughs> which is why I couldn't remember the others, is... Um, the one that wasn't previously announced? Yeah. It's a... It's only a save mod, but it's a sort of new spin on Legend of Zelda. Kind it's of called a... Living the Life of Luxury. And mm. real quick, just for those who don't know, what it is is they made a special save file. gives you a ton of rupees and a bunch of items up front to make the quest more approachable for new players. Nothing that breaks the flow of the game. Nothing that you have to actually earn. But it's just like, oh, they have the ability to just sort of remix and mess with NES games. Yeah, and to me, the potential of that and the idea that Nintendo could just sort of remotely mod their games on the fly and then push them to people, that's really cool. They're already promising other special save files that will be coming down the pipe. So, like, I think I hope they do that for Metroid. And it already worked. I literally never really had interest in playing the original NES Zelda just because it felt too, it's dated, very too dated and clunky. And... and it's very daunting to go with literally nothing yeah. and not know where to start. Like I Breath mean, of the Wild even holds yeah, your hand Yeah, there. yeah. We've been like softened by newer games. I guess NES, SNES. But, um, I mean, I played it and I got to the first Triforce piece, which is further than I've ever gone before, all thanks to that save mod. Oh, you, you did the uh, living the life of luxury. Yeah, I will say that it's, it is kind of annoying that it's its own option in the menu screen yeah like now you have like two zeldas and one on has a big screen. special banner on it yeah it's like why can't they just like if you click on one those just have like a extra option but yeah. i mean but they're i'm sure but see that's the nice thing about search like this they can find anything are they just gonna get rid of it at some point i don't know but that's the other half of it yeah so but but like i think an instance like this where these games are available elsewhere already it's cool having these unique benefits that and it's fine that they're managing them externally on some level like, the pros, I would argue, outweigh the cons in this situation. So there are, for sure, instances where a remote service or, like, a cloud-based thing work and makes sense. I just don't know if I want the whole video game world to shift to this with every type of game. That That's kind of a concern. But, yeah, no, I, I, I think um, – I'm really curious to see what else they do with these save files. Like, to get off the high horse that is um, my complaints about cloud gaming. Like, I, I think there's some really cool opportunities here. Like, they – in Japan, have a harder version of Super Mario Brothers that was an arcade. It is available as an arcade archive, but wouldn't it be cool if for Switch Online owners, they just pump that out to the service randomly out of nowhere as well, like they did with Zelda. Like, they can do big and small updates. They can add new levels. Like, they could, you know, maybe for the anniversary of one of these games, they add a whole new level or something from the original developers. Like, little itty-bitty tweaks that take not that long because they just insert it into code, but boom, it's sent to everyone. It's a cool little bonus that that's a little I guess you could do it with DLC technically but something like this where Nintendo could just sort of push it out as a surprise is kind of neat so this is the instance where I'm fine with this 
Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's enough about the cloud. There's one other hot topic in the industry lately, and that is, and I should specify there's one other hot topic in the video game industry lately, and that is weirdly enough movies. So I don't know if we can blame the '90s nostalgia wave that we were talking about earlier or what, but suddenly video game movies are very in again. And I don't mean like CG ones like the Mario movie Illumination and Nintendo are doing. I'm talking this extra special breed of live action slash computer generated like hybrid movies where there's like a character in the real world. And it's like, whoa, what's Sonic doing here? Oh, my God. Alvin and the Chipmunk. Like that is what I'm talking about. And I, I hate to say it, but it really all started with the Detective Pikachu movie. They announced it back in the original glory days of Pokemon Go. So way back in like 2016. And um, it sort of got the ball rolling for this new trend, it feels like. And to be fair to Detective Pikachu, or now as it's called, Pokemon, colon, Detective Pikachu, um, there's a chance this might actually be good. I mean, for one thing, the source material is pretty entertaining. We talked about the 3DS game when it came out, but it's well-written, it's fun, it's funny, there's good humor, so I there's that. But more to the point, Pokemon Company is actually heavily involved in everything about this movie, from the plot to choosing exactly which Pokemon appear in it. So... You know, to having input on decisions of how they make the movie. So I have hope that this could turn out pretty well. They also seem to be pretty confident in the project, enough so that they're getting fans involved very early. Back in August at the Pokemon World Championships, um, they actually brought out a couple of the cast and the director, and they had the audience at the championships chant Pikachu and Charizard, and they're using that audio recording for the crowd chants in the movie when Pikachu and Charizard fight each other. It's like they're trying to get fans involved. They're purposely not doing a story about Ash because they know fans already know that stuff. They're not trying to, like, do bad by the fans. They're really trying to make a good movie. So to me, that gives me hope. That's all well and good. But the problem is, it, like I started to say, unleashed this whole, like, avalanche of these CG live-action video game movies because we had Detective Pikachu on one hand, and then we had um, the upcoming Sonic the Hedgehog movie on the other hand. And this one's kind of all over the place. So it, it's it's almost like the original Mario movies from the – or Mario movie single from the 90s in that apparently Sega's not giving much input. They just kind of signed away the rights, and now the studio's running wild with it. So what we're getting is a story about Sonic, who's a rebellious teenager in a small town. And he has to team up with a police officer to go on a road trip to San Francisco in order to get his rings back from Dr. Eggman. Eggman? Eggman. Eggman. You see, if you if you're on a good turn, uh, first name basis with, what is his first name? What's Ivo? Oh, well, one yeah. of them was. Yeah, why did I say? Eggman? I think he's a grandpa now, according to the lore. Wait, wait, wait they're different. Like Robot, well, I thought Robotnik and Eggman were the Toadstool and Peach name situation. I mean, it was until Sonic Adventure Two, where they said that um, Ivo Robotnik was Eggman's grandfather, and he was the one that originally built Shadow. But when did this all happen? Sonic Adventure 2. Oh, you did say that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I all mean, right. whether they kept that, I mean, maybe they mentioned it in the Sonic Boom cartoon, but... By the way, after... just so we're clear, for for all intents and like, the movie could refer to him as Eggman instead of Eggman, because, again, they're going wild with the... It, they're making a buddy cop movie that stars Sonic. Like, nothing about this makes sense. So, perhaps I'm just foreseeing the future name they'll be giving him. But but yeah, that was a weird slip up on my part. But uh, to be fair to Sonic, like 
I don't want to be too hard on Sonic here. Um, it has some pretty awesome talent involved with the movie. I mean, Ben Schwartz, you may know him as John Raphael from Parks and Rec, among other things. He uh, He's also in DuckTales as a voice and Ninja Turtle show as a voice. He is voicing Sonic. That has potential. Uh, then you've got James Martin as the cop that will be accompanying him. You have a- Adam uh, Paley. Famous from Hop? That. I would argue famous from Westworld and or being one of Liz Lemon's boyfriends on 30 Rock. But sure, if you want Hop to be the go-to, we can do Hop. He's the star in Westworld. He wears a cowboy hat. Is he the dude from Smallville? No. What? Is he know. in Smallville? I don't know. I don't think he's in Smallville. He looks kind of like that guy, but he's not him. But anyway, so he's, he's definitely in Hop, though. I want to. He is in Hop. You're not oh, wrong. All right. Yeah. Just to make sure uh, I got the right guy. You got the right guy. But yeah, so he is playing the cop, and they have Adam Pally or Paul. I think it's Pally is how you say it. Um, who's just this really funny, like awkward, dry humor guy who's gonna be playing the friend of James Martin. And then you have of all people Jim Carrey playing Doctor Eggman, not Min. Um, so yeah, that like that's promising. But then at the same time, there's leaked photos from the set about a month ago where um, there's a person in a green suit driving a Volvo SUV and the leading theory is that Sonic driving the Volvo SUV. Clearly Tails. Either way, I feel like why the Volvo... Drive. He, hey, Team Sonic Racing. Delayed till 2019, but still, there's an example of him driving. I said want to drive. Oh, want to drive. Yeah, okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so there's some questionable stuff in there for sure. If if either of them are driving a Volvo. Like, why is Tails not building his own little thing? Why is he driving a Volvo? I don't know. Trying to keep a low profile? Maybe. It still doesn't. I don't know. Maybe it's Knuckles. He seems more the right body no. proportions to drive a Volvo. It's a CG costume, and Tails, they're all about the same height. No, Tails is shorter. No, they're, that's, they're all about the same height. Knuckles will still be short. Uh, all right. And Fine. the tech dude. Well, this actually leads to the question I really want to get to, which is why I'm walking through all these two movies in such detail, is both of these projects, and this is I'm really curious to hear your take on, um, because you do animation, like, what are Pikachu or the other Pokemon or Sonic even going to look like in this thing? Because there's going to be a super weird Uncanny Valley situation here, potentially, where you can't make them look too real because it's really creepy, but you also got to make them look kind of freakishly furry or else it doesn't look real enough. Like, where? Like how do you not make Pikachu look weird? How do you make Sonic look okay? What, yeah. how, there's, there's what do you do? Uh, I, I mean, that's more just the art direction of anything, but... I don't think there is a way to make them look appealing without making them look like straight up fake. That's like they're just gonna feel out of place. Like there's, no, I don't think there is a way to transfer Sonic over without going like Ninja Turtles, Michael Bay, and oh, making them look like really I don't ugly. Want that. Yeah. But then again, like I mean, I don't know. I guess it also worked for the Ninja Turtles back in the day. Like I mean, the old like '90s costumes, like I feel like still hold up really, really well. Because, I mean, you know they're not real, but, I mean, it sells it. It, it sells it. it. It works because they brace their art style. Like a better Or not brace their art style, but they they know what they are. Yeah, I'm trying but, to I mean, say. like, I mean, they still made them real enough to be believable, but not too real to look unappealing. They literally so, just look like living, breathing cartoons that are in 3D. Kind of. The Ninja Turtle costumes? Yeah, I don't know about cartoons. Well, not necessarily cartoons. You're right; they're a little more detailed than that. But they don't look like real turtles either. They like walk. Oh, no, yeah. They walk the line very well. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's somewhere between. Yeah, cartoons I, I don't know what they could do with Pikachu. I mean, yeah, they could try to go the Pokemon tournament route, but see, that's not that bad. I'm okay with that. But I mean, that's still gonna look 
Weird. Oh, we'll just have to wait and see. And, and you know what the the weird thing about these are is, so these two are older stories. I mean, I we had the opportunity to talk about these a couple episodes, but didn't have time. So I was just kind of sitting on them and waiting. Like one day we'll be able to have this conversation about how weird and freakish Pikachu and Sonic will look. And then that day arrived in this episode because now things are just out of control with these video game movies. Because last week Capcom threw its hat into the ring and they're making a live action Mega Man movie now. And uh, all we know so far is that it's being produced by 20th Century Fox. It's being written and directed by the duo who previously made Catfish and Paranormal Activity 3, which is not exactly what I would expect to be a history that would get you in the shoes of director and writer of a Mega Man movie, but okay. Um, and, and here's the part that I'm like, oh, this this does this. I'm, I'm worried. Capcom has mentioned that intends for the movie to, and I quote, Appeal to a diverse audience, including not only game players, but action movie fans as well, with an adaptation that maintains the world of the Mega Man games while incorporating, incorporating the grand production and entertainment value that Hollywood movies are known for. Which, to me, sounds worrisome. You shouldn't have to say you're trying to Hollywood. <laughs> it's going to be Transformers. My theory is it's going to be Barman Act Zero, the movie. Like, that's the look they're going to go. It's going to be all, like, edgy and mature and for no reason. And it'll be like, why? why? Like, it's a lighthearted kid's tale. So I, I don't know. I mean, Capcom does have history of making decent Hollywood movies. The Resident Evil series has done quite well as movies, and people seem to like those. But yeah, that wording, especially when you take into account the, the writers previously working on Paranormal Activity and Catfish, like it sounds like they're going for like edgy and hard, even though Mega Man really isn't. So uh, I don't know. At best, at best, I'm expecting something that's kind of like Iron Man. I mean, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Mega Man will, fr- will freaking look it, like it, Iron it's Man. Be like, because Mega Man is not like Astro Boy in the sense that, actually, I think. It, oh yeah, Astro Boy. I think he was like a a real boy's consciousness put into a robot because yeah. the dad lost him or something like that. It was a way and, for him to preserve him after the war, essentially, right? Because it was a post World War II, like. Oh, wasn't it? In the, in the, I mean, you're probably right. Because I, I know it came out post war, like Astro. The, the whole thing is like, oh, no, no, yeah. it was a. Cult, it was like a pop culture response to the being like Hiroshima and all that happening. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about like in the in the story itself. Like, I don't remember how the kid died. Oh, I mean, yeah, I saw yeah. the the 2010, 11. It was made by Imagi, the people that made the 2007 right. Gene Ninja Turtle movie. Right. And that one, I think he just gets like vaporized by like a like a, a nuke. Robot. Uh, like a robot. Or uh, something. He was like somewhere he was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're not gonna spell it out that well, much point in is, the thing, but it's supposed to be an analogy yeah. originally back in the day. The point anyway. is, like, I mean, he was like he's kind of like a human grappling with the fact that he's now a robot mm-hmm. and Mega Man was always a robot he was never like a kid even though he looks like a kid yeah he was built by Dr. and I have a feeling White. like they're gonna Oops. I feel like they might just go with that angle like oh he was a kid first they're going and then to. he's gonna get into some accident and he's gonna be like robocopped into like this Mega Man so here's the thing the movie's either gonna be super edgy and they're gonna rename it Mega Kid and just like piss everyone off it's either gonna be super edgy Iron Man Weird, edgy Iron Man, or that's, that's what the or it's Iron Man be, thing. It's like a kid in a suit. Or it's gonna be exactly what you're saying. It's gonna be a tale about self worth and valuing yourself for who you are, and everyone's special and unique, and that's okay. Those are the two paths I see yeah. it taking. Neither of which are what Mega Man are. Your neither of which are what Mega Man is yours to keep, even if exactly. Like, your body and you can. know what? If life gets in your way, you just get back up and 
double down or something. Like, it's going to be either a life lesson or it's going to be, like, Ooh, what if whenever you kill the robot master, not only does he get their powers, but he gets, like, a part of their, like, personality. So he starts to lose himself with every robot master he gets. Now but we're he, back into edgy, but this is interesting. But he has I like to, this. But he, but he has to be collecting the robot masters in order to, like, stop the evil. But if he collects all of them, he's going to completely lose himself. And it's like the origin them. story for that movie Split by M. Night Shyamalan, where it's the guy with, like, the multiple personalities, except he was Mega Man all yeah, along. Yeah, so I have to, like, fight with that show. Like, do I want to pretty much cease to be what I was or to be honest that's a really interesting spin on it that if it doesn't try too hard could work like if they take the right it would still be really disappointing that it had to be the thing for a Mega Man movie yeah but I mean but that could be something he has to grapple with yeah Yeah. that's actually kind of interesting I guess it could even work too even if he was always a robot because he could be a robot that developed the personality that's already losing it because he was borderline sentient but he doesn't want to he doesn't want to lose what he decided to become I don't know yeah if they go that route as long as they don't like go overly gritty with it it could be cool I mean there's enough already good AI becoming yeah. sentient movies oh I love all the movies about artificial I mean, intelligence well, and computers and Ex, Ex Machina, Machina is really good if they made Mega Man Ex Machina I'd be a little concerned like Mega Man should not be Ex Machina like everything we're trying is a really cool movie but now I think about like do we want Mega Man to be that <laughs> action like how do they explain Rush does Rush just walk in as a normal dog and then like he was a suddenly real dog he's another dog <laughs> The dog, the kid, and the dog were in the same accident. Oh, of course! Now they're both grappling with identity issues. <laughs> the dog doesn't know what breed it is anymore. It's yeah. uh, it's the a mutt in every sense. Yeah, you, you know they're gonna have that scene there where he's gonna like try to pee on a fire hydrant, but it's gonna be oil or something like. Give me yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's like the t- tonally the movie we're describing is going in like seven directions at once, and none of them are particularly ideal. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Mega Man's kind of weird. I mean, we'll see. Um, the thing it has. The thing Capcom has going for it is if Mega Man doesn't work out, they have another movie also coming down the pipe. And this one, I think this one's more up your alley. It hits a little closer home for you. They are making, actually, I should rephrase. Uh, conceptually, it's more up your alley. Once you hear the plot, I think you're going to. No, be I, I, I've read the Monster, plot a while ago. Monster Hunter. It's, so they're. Well, I tell the plot. It, it, it's the same thing as the Sonic movie. Like instead of like them just like embracing the fact that it's in the fantasy world, they're like, oh no, it's it. They literally made it for the U.S. Yeah. So, like. so let's get the army involved. Like some of them get like transported to that Monster Hunter world. So there's a special U.N. task yeah. force group team called Artemis, led by uh, Mila Jovovich, who you may know as the star of all the Resident Evils. Her husband, who made Resident Evil, is writing and directing Monster Hunter. And she and her team get transported into the Monster Hunter world and they team up with a local hunter, and they have to figure out how to close the portal back to Earth to prevent the monsters from going Obviously, through. Obviously, we're going to get a shot of, like, the Rathalos in New York City, like, destroying yep. stuff, or monsters, yep. whatever. Yep. They're basically like, well, what if we did Godzilla, but, like, what if Godzilla was in a portal somewhere else and also happened to be a different video game with entirely funny, different creatures? Like, I feel like they could have just as easily, and it would have been appropriate for today, like, if they had just extrapolated or adapted one of the plots that are already in one of the games, right. which... A lot of them essentially always tackle with, like, conquering nature and the fact that you can't really do that. And whenever that happens, like... Because a lot of the monsters or a lot of the ancient, like, dragons are, like, part of the... Are in an, are an integral part of the ecosystem. Yeah. And whenever, like, people, like, overdevelop or, like, get into those areas, like, the dragons kind of go amok and it, and it messes with nature. And there's, like, all these other catastrophic activities. Like, it actually causes, like, earthquakes sometimes because they're responsible for that, blah, blah, blah. See, that would be, that in of itself would be very interesting. It's almost like a sidestep of, like, Wally. Like, like, there's an environmental message in there. Yeah, oh, there definitely is. But it's it's still an excuse to get, like, giant monsters to come out. 
Right. I um, think that'd be cool, especially it's very timely because uh, that report just came out the other day that if we don't do stuff about climate change in ten years, we're basically screwed. Yeah. So it's uh, it kind of fits. It would fit with that because there's this whole mindset of like, how do you work within the bounds of nature that that could address, and it would tie into the news, and it'd be and players would be more comfortable with it. Monster Hunter players because it'd be more the themes and world they're used to. Because basically they're making a sci-fi movie out of a fantasy series, yeah. which is weird. And to be fair, they have like okay talent behind it. Like like I said, Paul uh, W S Anderson, he's directing and writing. He did well with Resident Evil. They got some pretty decent. They got Ron Perlman in it as one of the team members. They got T I randomly as one of the team members. Um, they have Diego Boneta playing um, another team member. They have Tony Jaa being the hunter. I don't actually know what Tony Jaa's from, but I've heard his name. Uh, so they have and, and I get, actors already signed up. They're filming in South Africa next month. Like, this thing's going. And I get, like, maybe they're scared. Like, like, oh, no, we need, like, it has to be a portal thing because you need someone from our world to go into their world so they could pretty but you much, really like, don't. like, ex- like ex- exposate, expositate all over us. Um, exposition. Wow, that sounds very inappropriate. <laughs> we are a clean podcast. Thank you very much. Because <laughs> it's like, like, oh, they're experiencing it for the first time. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, if they really wanted to, whether they could just follow like a Ricky Hunter someone that's pretty good and so we're kind of learning yeah there's the so many ways it could have done this better yeah. like it just I'm sure it'll be okay as a movie but it's not Monster Hunter I mean yeah I mean there's been other movies that do world building without needing to shove in exactly I mean look at I guess Star Wars I mean things could be, anything really yeah I mean look at the weapons they're all like giants like knives and swords it's stuff. weird yeah it's and like, then these people, guys gotta come in with guns people aren't dumb I mean there's there's even guns in that universe but I not mean, like military guns like they're about to no bring but in. no yeah i mean they're slower but i mean yeah. like i mean we're not people aren't that dumb like they're like okay like they get the idea hunting is an actual thing this is just kind of like a more exaggerated version where you're hunting yeah giant monsters so like expectedly you're gonna have bigger versions of normal hunting weapons i have a weird feeling when this was greenlit because if they're producing next month and they have a cast and everything already this had to be in development for a while i have a fe- uh, feeling this was in development and they would decide on this plot when monster hunter was still a niche franchise before World came out and blew up and made it one of the biggest franchises of the year. Yeah. This sounds like something where people are like, oh, they know the name, but maybe they don't know the game. Yeah, Let's a lot run of with people it. people got into Monster Hunter World that never got into it before, so... It's, it's the best... It's, and they... It's uh, and, selling and, insanely well. It's one of the best yeah, selling games of the year. a lot of them ended up like, really loving the franchise after that, so obviously they didn't need to have like this Call weird... of Duty intro scene yeah. and... Have you played as a Marine that is now in the Monster Hunter world that can't go back? Yeah, like, war gamers like uh, call uh, Block Ops. I mean, they do. Put them <laughs> in the Monster movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. So, I mean, we'll see what it comes into. But just another example of these movies are, I don't know. I, they're all slightly questionable for different reasons. But you know what my favorite video game movie announcement was? Because there was another. We're not done yet. This is one that... Um, what about that Shoots and Ladders movie? Whatever happened to... I probably got canceled after Battleship. Whatever happened to that Tetris movie? So, that's kind of... We're kind of... the Candyland movie? We're veering towards what I'm about to bring up, which is we need to stop making movies, actually, or we need to continue making movies about things that don't have plots. Yeah, we need to have horrible movies. Horrible movies are an important part of our... It's true. It's true. But So, the one, the one that I'm most... Ecosystem. Yes, indeed. But the one I'm most... I don't want to say excited for, but the one that intrigued me the most... <laughs> You're excited. Was because it's ridiculous. Are you ready for this? They're making a Dance Dance Revolution movie. Really striking while the iron's hot. Hmm. It's, um, we don't know much except this. Are you ready? I'm just going to quote. Aliens? Not quite. We don't know. Here's what I'm going to quote. The movie will explore a world on the brink of destruction where the only hope is to unite through the universal language of dance. Because when I 
used to see DDR in arcades 15 years ago. I definitely was like, yeah, this is a post-apocalyptic game right here. Definitely. So they ripped <laughs> off the plot from one of the episodes of Futurama. They ripped off Step Up 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 8, 12, 3D, and 52. No, but that was literally... Yeah, that was, yeah. actually, yeah. Like these aliens but well, we don't know if it's aliens. You're assuming it's aliens. No, I know, I know, yeah. All we know is well, a world on the brink Something happened that the, the fate of the world was in danger listen, and it came down to death. Listen, I don't know if you've seen Step Up 3D. I have not. But I do know that Step Up 3D, they were able to save their homes. And uh, their neighborhood was going to be torn down and a condom uh, condominium was going to be put up in its place. And they danced their way They danced their way into the hearts of the contractors and that condo was canceled. So if you can do that and Step Up, you can stop an apocalypse in DDR. Dance of the universal language. Makes sense. Yeah, universal language. Exactly. But no, I'm, I'm actually kind Is of wondering. universal? What? Is it produced? Uh, no, it's produced by some – I forgot what it's called. Some company I've never heard of. But I I just – like your point – like to your point about Tetris, Shoots and Ladders, Candyland. Like you have zero backstory. You have zero characters. You have zero plot. You're just going to make a movie about it? Like how? Why? With what? So I, I don't know like is the theory here with DDR that like it's some sort of military thing where like instead of weapons they dance because they discovered maybe it isn't an invasion and the only way to stop them is through solid like B plus to A minus chore- choreography. Like what is – I don't really – or like are humans dancing or, or maybe the humans are in suits and they're as robots and the robots dance. Maybe it's Pacific Rim the musical essentially. Like I don't – I don't know. Well, if they're if they are robots, do the robot robots also have weapons? Are they dancing with weapons? Is it like shoot and dance? Because then that's definitely not DDR anymore. And like, or maybe maybe they go a mysticism route. Maybe they do like uh, fantasy or something. Maybe it's a thing where like there's a ragtag street dance crew, and they have to open or close portals to a better or worse world through their dancing, just to tie it in with Monster High. Little, I don't know. Like, I and where are they dancing to? That's the other question because it it could be J-pop. That's what's in the real game. It could be current hip-hop melodies. That's what Step Up does. It could be, for all we know, like big band swing from the 1920s. Like there's so little to work with. I don't understand how this is becoming a movie. So I don't know. I mean the broader question here is are we going to run a risk of oversaturation of video game movies? Because we now have like five coming out in the next two years or six. Or do you think they can just go on forever like comic book movies do? Well, are comic book movies going on forever? Oh yeah, they're as big as ever, if not bigger. But really? the thing, the thing, comic books have in their favor, I'd argue, is they have established plots, established characters, and they that have they're now deciding not to mess with, for the most part. Yeah, but I mean, even even when they were messing with them, they were things that had familiarity and had deeper themes and ideas, and you know, they were like sometimes political messages, even. So those you can mix and match and remix and do whatever you want, which is fine to make movies out of. How do you do that with DDR, Monster Hunter, Sonic, Mega Man, Pokemon? Like they don't have the same well of information to work from, I feel like. They feel more surface level. I don't think any of them have a plot, but... Any of the video game movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, just in general, but video yeah. game movies. Like, do you think? Yeah, no, DDR has no, zero yeah, video plot. game movies are definitely harder. Yeah, like, we're going to see we... a Fortnite movie. That's all. Of course we are. Yeah. But, like, do you think. Yeah, I just I just had this weird feeling that video game movies are going to become a thing, and then they're all going to bomb, and then. I, don't I mean, know. they definitely have potential. I mean, like, I feel like a Metroid movie is definitely 
possible. See, that could be cool because that can dive into some deeper stuff. Isn't there a Halo movie coming out or Halo? There was. I think it got canceled actually. They it was in development hell forever. And then TV show. I know they were up their TV. There was. It was going to be produced by Microsoft. They were going to have a service, and then they canceled that too. They shut down their whole TV division. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like I get why it's all happening at once. I just wonder if it's going to be effective. Yeah, yeah, but it's um. Yeah, like the reason all these companies are doing this does make sense from their perspective. It's really the same reason Nintendo's going all in on the Mario movie, and that's IP expansion. There's this line that Nintendo has said for a long time that they're not just competing against other game products and platforms. They're competing against anything that takes up your free time. We heard it back in the day as justification for why Wii and Wii U had video streaming apps because it's about just using the platform. doesn't matter what you're doing on it. And last week at this summit called GameWire in Seattle – Really, for what I think was the first time ever, Reggie of Nintendo used this idea of we're competing for free time to justify their IP expansion. Because he's like, hey, whether it's a movie, whether it's a theme park ride, whether it's you spending time in a mall browsing like Mario objects or Mario merchandise, that's still time that Nintendo is getting instead of someone else. Like he explained that he sees Nintendo as more of an entertainment company than a game company, and that's emphasized by these IP projects existing beyond just gaming. Like they may want, they obviously want people to have an affinity to Nintendo characters because that's some more stuff. But it also means that you know they have they have this finite amount of time that they're spending deeper and deeper in the Nintendo black hole and less and less at the competitors, which means they're more likely to keep going down that path of Nintendo stuff. So I kind of get that's why a lot of these companies are doing it. Like Sonic may be weird. Monster Hunter's plot make, might make not might make no sense. DDR, I don't even know what's up with that. But at the end of the day, assuming these movies don't bomb bomb horrifically, they are capturing entertainment time. They're making these companies money. They're reinforcing the brands. They're getting people who maybe don't care about the brands who now invest their time in doing other things with these brands, like maybe checking out the games. So I do get why it's happening. I just don't – I don't know. It just seems like these are not the best – movies <laughs> which is unfortunate because gaming has so much to work with in a way like there's yeah. so much lore they could be focused on that keep it from not... becoming as mainstream as comic book movies for a while yeah that's then, kind of the concern yeah because yeah. i mean the good yeah i mean like marvel is definitely to thank for the fact that you can't even really call someone like nerdy for liking marvel because that's just normal it's, it's normal just, yeah. yeah nerd culture has been completely normalized yeah yep, yep. yeah it's, it's interesting but so yeah, we'll see how these movies do. I'm not holding my breath. Detective Pikachu, I think, and the Mario CG one are probably going to be the best of the bunch, honestly, because Nintendo and Pokemon Company are so I mean, overprotective of this stuff. I mean, the bar is really low. But... The bar is really low, but they're so overprotective that I'd be shocked if they let a bad thing go through, especially after the 90s Mario movie happened. Yeah, that literally that stopped traumatized Nintendo. them. That traumatized Nintendo so much that they pulled back on all their licensing stuff, too, for a while. Like, because they had all sorts of merch. Like, early 90s Nintendo is very much like modern-day yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, the Zelda show, a Mario show. Yeah, and they, they, and they all, to be fair, sucked. <laughs> but yeah. So this was like a, it was a, it was a perfect but storm. Not but not suck enough that they cared. Yeah, until things hit a tipping point, and then Nintendo recoiled and didn't do movie, anything. didn't really like doing it. But huh? I even said that the people involved in the movie didn't even like doing it. We have a great article at Rantown.com, extra... Um, 
something about the Mar movie. I forgot yeah. what the title is, but it's... Bob Hoskins has been quoted saying that it's his worst experience of all time. Yeah, we have direct quotes from the producer, the writer, the set designer, who also did Blade Runner, by the way. Like, that I mean, guy. They got that guy. And, and to give him credit, list. like, they were working with... I mean, there was no precedent before this, so they had literally nothing to work off of besides the game. And, you know, there's a quote from the one of the, the original writer who... So the backstory is we went to a screening of the Mario movie for the 20th anniversary. This is now five years ago. And really? we wrote, I wrote, yeah, oh, and I wrote an article about it on the site where I, it's literally like I, you know, they had a panel Q and A, and we, I have it all there, little in depth backstory. The thing that stuck with me most, even to this day, is when the writer said, "We were told to make a movie." I'm paraphrasing, but we were told to make a movie off a game where all you do is run right. How do you do that? And that thought is why I'm worried is going to drag down the DDR movie, the Monster Hunter movie, the Mega Man movie the Sonic movie but to a slightly lesser extent because there is more lore the Pokemon movie to a lesser extent because there is more lore like it is difficult and I think these are mostly cheap cash and opportunities to steal people's time for these companies more than they are actual legitimate passion projects passion projects and that's what sucks like Pokemon watch the DDR one actually be one like someone actually fought tooth and nail for that I will we can set up some sort of bet if the DDR movie is fresh on Rotten Tomatoes when it comes out whenever it comes out I will. You can throw a tomato at my face. I don't know. <laughs> like we'll figure it. Like you could. Yeah, we'll figure I'll something. I'll try out. to find a variation of that that will be safer. But, yeah, I mean, I, I can put on but I do like the idea of throwing something at your face. Yeah, thank you. It could be a, a plush tomato, like a stuffed animal. No, it has to be more substantial than that. I don't somewhere know. Somewhere well, between a tomato and a plush tomato. I sort of hope it'd be like somewhere between tomato and tomato. I guess we'll it'd be. It. I guess it'd be a water balloon filled with tomato juice. There we go. Yeah, I think that's There we go. Okay. If DDR's fresh, we'll do that. Yeah. Fresh for how long? When it comes out. All right. We'll, we'll give it the full weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The launch weekend or whatever they call it. Premier the, weekend. Yeah, debut weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that's video game movies. But, of course, I'm just going to pivot. Uh, I'm just going to hard pivot I'm here. Jot this down. Yeah, please jot that down. So, um, that was video game movies. That was all the news. Of course, um, the primary product of Nintendo is still games. So to that end, let's talk about some games. We managed to go. This might be the first time I've done this on podcast where we talked about gaming, but we didn't talk about games, like any specific games until now. So uh, we've been playing two pretty big releases. We're now in the What We're Playing segment. Uh, both are from Nintendo. Both came out in just the past couple of weeks. We have Super Mario Party and we have Dragalia Lost. So you have put in significantly more time in Super Mario Party than I have, partly because I bought the game about five hours ago and you bought a week ago. So I'll chime in, but if you want to take the lead on this, because you have played the thing to death, how do you how do you feel about is Mario's latest party really all that super? I don't know about super, but it is a great party. It, it, I would call it um, great Mario Party. <laughs> um, wow, good thing you don't name games. I know, right? Because I mean, after part, I guess eight. I mean, everyone knows it's been like set to death that. Everyone. It, it, it kind of took a downturn, and honestly, like I feel like the quality of the mini games themselves never deteriorated. It was obviously just the board game which everyone liked to play, right? And I mean, honestly, I, I feel like it's building up to something a lot better. Like I, overall, I feel the the gameplay of the board game has improved significantly. I feel the introduction of a lot of these mechanics that we'll get into are just improving just how fun and how strategic they can be. Like it's still very much random. And there's a lot of Mario As Party by me almost winning only for you to then win. I almost yeah. won off. We we played right before. I almost won off a random star that just fell into my lap, and then he won by 
falling into a situation where he was able to steal the star also just kind of by pure chance. So I went from first to fourth or something. But anyway, um, sorry to interrupt. You're saying yeah, but I mean, there's I feel like there's a lot more agency in this game. You have well, let's just start from the top. So essentially, everything has been brought back down. Like before, you could move ten spaces. Now you can only move a max of six. Mm-hmm. Before everything cost like stars cost twenty. Now they cost ten. You start the game with five coins instead of ten. Yeah, and and yet like because you're moving less, maps are a lot smaller, so they don't feel as grand or there isn't as many set pieces. It's just like maybe like one or two giant. Actually, no, there's just like one giant like quote unquote gimmick. Like there's a, like the board we played today just has if you press on a submission mark space or a chance space, you make a giant boulder fall down. That's pretty much what the map revolves around. The rest of it is just two giant circles. Or and, that, circles. and that boulder does chase you back down the path you came on, so you kind of lose yeah, your place. Yeah, so just that one straight line. But other than that, like there isn't really much going on in the map. Like Where I guess um, the interesting part that I thought was really cool is the we didn't really play Star Allies on the 3DS, but that game introduced the ability to carry or to have um, other characters follow you. Characters that would normally be playable, but that weren't selected. And when you land on these spaces, you get not only, I guess, someone following you, like a Pokemon, but you get a you get an additional plus one or two on your die roll every time, but you can also pick between their special die. Because in this game, everyone has a special die. Like Besides the normal one through six, everyone just has like one that... It's kind of cool. It kind of fits what you would expect for them to have. Like Bowser has one that's extremely high risk, extremely high reward. Mm-hmm. Like he has two spots that if you land on them, you lose two coins and you don't move. But he also has an eight, nine, and ten, and no one has a roll that high. That has like a, so literally fifty percent of the time you're gonna be rolling extremely high, and the other fifty percent you're probably not gonna be moving. But Koopa has a die that's like. One one one. Koopa Troopers two, three. is so sad. It's like one 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 three four ten. Yeah. So he has the potential to go really high, but consistently he's probably going to be rolling a little lower. Which really is the story of Koopa Troopers' life. He, the potential's there, but the odds he hits it is so low. He's yeah. mostly going to get stomped on by Mario. So, so it's pretty cool. And then you have like some other characters that just have like, I think like Bowser Junior. He has like fours across the board, and I think Shy Guy's literally just four, and I think Bowser Junior. was like one 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 four four four. Mm-hmm. So. I don't know it's it brings an interesting dynamic of like oh which die do I roll and depending on the odd that you feel or are more appropriate for the situation you can really change the outcome of the game pretty easily and and what I noticed that was kind of cool is um so all these characters have their different die but because you have these assist characters that you're describing you never feel like the die the dice are unbalanced between the characters because even if you have one that has better odds in one way than another way another character has better odds or worse odds in that same way and in either case you have that plus one or plus two as soon as you get an assist and you can stack those assist characters so you can have plus three plus four plus one. yeah so it actually it sounds like it could be something that could be game breaking if they didn't balance it right but they kind of did through the assist characters yeah, and it makes it really fun like it feels like every time you pick up this ally it actually feels kind of special like you have like this extra permanent item and it just feels nice to have like a nice selection of die like i think mm-hmm. at one point the most i've ever had following me was like maybe four Oh, can go that high? <laughs> so I had like five dice that I get to pick from, and it was like, oh, right, how much I want to move this time. It was, I don't know, it was really fun. Right. And that only takes into play in the mini games when there are these special mini games that incorporates all the allies. So the more you've collected, if you've been prioritizing that, the better odds you have of winning that game. 
and some of them are like there's one where you're on a bridge and you're just jumping over these spiky rolling things that I don't really know their name because I don't know they're not wanted and you bombs. co-host a Nintendo podcast and you don't know their name I don't know their Do name you know either. Their name? I don't even know what you're describing honestly the mini game we played today where this is just a, a rolling spiky oh, thing with a smile those on are it. spikadilla I don't know what they are <laughs> And well, essentially, you literally just press A. You only control yourself. The CPU controls the rest of your allies. But if you happen to die, the odds that one of your allies could win, I mean, I mean, it's there. And it did happen to me one time when I was playing with other friends. Like, the computer just happened to kick everyone's butt. And then there was another game where everyone has little hammers. And only the people that have the hammers have balloons on them. But every single character on the screen has hammers. So everyone is trying to kill... I guess the the human characters balloons, but if you have like five allies, like yeah, they're gonna be protecting you, and you have pretty much like a little shield, and you can't kill the allies. You just have to maneuver your way around them without getting your balloons popped. For for those diehard round Nintendo listeners out there, you may recall telling the last episode we were trying to figure out how many people are playable, how many people can play Mario Party. This is the thing we were figuring out, not knowing. Yeah, because this is we saw playable characters all in one. It screen. was specifically this mini game, I think. Right? Yeah. You're like, oh, they're all holding hammers. But yeah, it, uh, it it turns out it is a max of four. It's just the whole ally system, which we somehow were totally oblivious to. Like Nintendo did not promote that very heavily at all. Yeah, and but that's a cool mechanic. I mean, it it adds a lot to the the regular four player board game, but they also had included the the star ally. I guess style of play from the 3ds where you pretty much play in groups of two. Yeah, it's partner always, party. They're yeah, calling it, it this time. It's always two versus two, but what's really cool is that they restructure the map, so it's the same aesthetic, but it's basically a different map. And yeah, pretty much you could you roll the die and you can run in any direction you want. You can run back and forth, back and forth. Well, actually, no, not back and forth. You could run in circles and pretty much never progress anywhere, or you could run in a straight line if you want. Yeah, the the board but, isn't tying you down yeah the caveat is that you have to move that exact number of spaces you can't just run three and that's it so if the star is like five spaces away and you roll like a 10 i mean no and you roll like a nine it's impossible for you to get to that star you could like try any combination but you're not gonna be able to land on it you're gonna be one short or one over depending on what path you take Mm -hmm. so it's still yeah, so it's kind of cool that you still could go out and, all right, I'm going to go get some allies to increase the odds that I land on that specific space. Because sometimes you do want to land to get a zero. Like, it just depends on the situation. Yeah. And, I don't know, I thought that was pretty great. That is cool. It, it adds a whole different layer of strategy over what you're used to in a Mario Party. Especially when they took out so much strategy by putting everyone in one car for the last couple ones. Yeah. Like, to have not just the freedom to move around on a normal board, but to then, I haven't played Partner Party, but based on what you're saying to have the freedom to really choose your specific space you go to yeah. and what I do know from the ally mode is it all adds a lot like yeah, it, it sounds it really, inconsequential but it actually is a very nice extra layer it really does make the game feel very familiar but very fresh yeah which is really nice for a Mario Party because even then like I guess even by the time we were getting to 8 when it was still a board game it was kind of feeling the board games were feeling kind of repetitive even though they tried to mix it up like there were some board games that I know were just one straight line and when you get to the top of the mountain and get your star, you yeah. have to go all the way down and just do it again. There was another one that I actually thought was interesting that was kind of like Monopoly. And there was like Hotel. Then you have to, you could buy up to three stars. In Mario Party? It, yeah. You're not thinking of Fortune Street? No, it was Mario Party. It looks like Mario Party. <laughs> yeah, you pretty much just, um, you just go to a hotel and if you buy two stars, then you have two stars. Hmm. Like in your bank. But then if someone passes by and let's say they buy three stars, all of a sudden you have no stars and they have three stars. Right. So that was pretty cool. 
But yeah, so this one. This one's back to basics. Yeah, it's like starting over, which is nice. This is basically maybe a we'll eventually get to those crazy ideas because I kind of like some of those. Like there was one where everyone's on chain chomps and you have to like steal stars from each other. And you made a good. How did you word it? You made a good when we were playing it. You made a really good comparison about like because I was like this kind of feels like a reboot. Like they dropped the numbers. It's not Super Mario Party. It's kind of like how they did New Super Mario Brothers, and that was like a reset for the Mario games, 2D Mario games. This feels like that for Mario Party. But you made a good comparison where it's like. Everything about the game has a lot of good ideas. Like the foundation is there, right? But the well, how do you word something like it didn't have the confidence, or like it was missing? Yeah, I just said that like everything feels very safe and very plain. It's even the UI. Like the UI looks like an app you would download from an like on a, like it's very stark. It's very Apple esque, which is nice because it's very modern, but also it feels very like base level. Yeah, it definitely feels like a game that can grow into its own eventually which i think because right now it yeah like for what it is it's really good and yeah it has like less maps two only less four the, two less than the average mario party which it's kind of a big deal but they included other modes that they hope will keep you entertained and they're fun but they're not as fun they're, they're like, not so there's something you're gonna visit repeatedly like there's a four-player co-op river raft mode which is pretty fun but once you do it a few times like it's it's just the exact same thing every single time you're just playing. Wait, the the fish pattern's the same? Hmm? The pattern of the... Not the fish, the... So when you do the river raft mode... Oh, yeah, You're going down the river, and you do mini-games to boost past fish. Well... Cheap cheeps. Well, and... I mean, you, the mini-games are there to increase your time, because you start with, like... Oh, a, you right. have 70 seconds yeah. to complete the entire trek of the river. You have to go all the way down to the finish line. Uh-huh. And every time you win, you win at a mini-game, as a... And a co-op one, which they're pretty fun, but they're obviously not as many because it's just one dedicated mode. Oh, you get like 30 more yeah. seconds added to your clock. So the point is you just want to beat as many as mini games so you can get more time added so you can make right. it through the whole thing because it's pretty long. But And there and there's a bunch of branching paths. It starts with two branching paths, then four, then another four. Are the branches the same when you go back every time? Or do, is it yeah, like when, somewhat yeah, randomly generated? No, they're not randomly generated. Oh, that's kind of sucks. So they're mysterious the first go through. So essentially, it's fun to do it I guess a maximum of there's five different endings, so a total of five times it's going to be exciting because you'll have taken every path at least once. Right. But then after that, I guess you would have to deal with a completely new group of friends. Ah, uh, yeah. Which not everyone has the luxury of having different groups. I'm lucky enough that I have at least yeah, like three different groups, maybe four, that I could do this with, and they'll mm-hmm. be fun every time. Mm-hmm. But I mean, once that wears off, then it's like we're never going to play it again. Right. Right. But. Yeah, so that's that game. And then there's also a, I guess, a Rhythm Heaven mode. It's like Rhythm Heaven <laughs> slash Mar- um, WarioWare. It's called Sound Something in this one. Soundstage? Is that what I saw it I on think the menu. So, yeah. I think Soundstage. And, I mean, you just go with four people, and you just play a couple music ry- rhythm-based games back-to-back. And they're all, like, just quick little waggles. It's the Wii days all over again. Yeah, and like, you'll do one. Like, it'll flash the instructions on the screen for a few seconds, kind of like WarioWare. And then you'll go into it, and then it'll... Flash the next instructions, then you'll go into it, then flash the next instructions, then go into it, and then, and it's, I mean, I thought it'd be fun if there were more of them, but there's three tiers of difficulty, and they're the exact same ones every single time. Hmm. So it's not like, yeah, once you do it like three times, or once you try each one once, you might not want to do it again, maybe one more time for the right, levels, but. Right. I, I think honestly. Yeah, so that one ends up also being short. Right. Honestly. The most interesting of the bunch, which is one we tried, is Toad Rec Room. Yeah, Toad Rec Room has a few games that you could play with four people that I could see that are 
that are almost like are like hidden gems. Like there's yeah. one where like clearly click... hidden because the menu. Not to cut, oh, just yeah. real quick. The menu, unlike most Mario parties, the menu you actually walk around. It's like a little party city, and you walk around and you talk to different. Actually, party city is a, a store, it's so like it's a not like a party city, but it's, uh, it's like a park with jumbotrons. Yeah, it's a park with jumbotrons and inflatable things, and you walk around, and the different toads help you with the different modes. And if you go all the way, it's like multiple screens that you walk through. And if you go all the way to the right to a warp pipe and go into the warp pipe you get to what is actually the best thing outside of the core game which is toad rec room and i will say if you don't want to walk around there is what amounts to a wii u gamepad you unlock in the game called the party pad yeah and it's basically a menu you can bring up to navigate the menu which is an odd thing yeah but yeah but once you get to toad rec room um yeah, you I, you were starting to say something. I cut you off if you want to. Oh, but carry I on. mean, like, <laughs> like those games are fun, but they're they're tech demos. Yeah, they're they're all tech. Like the baseball one, I feel like you can maybe get some mileage out of it at the drinking game. Yeah. So, but other than that, like a lot of them are also, it's like yeah, like they're tech, they, they feel bare bones in them. That they're really fun the first time you play them, but and you'll probably play them for a while that first time. But after that first time, you probably won't revisit them. The best way I would describe it is it's like we play. Minus any high score tracking. Mm, so, I mean, literally one of them is straight up the tank game from Wii Play with some tweak visuals and control options. But basically, the cool thing about the Rec Room is all these games in there require two switches and use them in different ways. So some, the baseball one, which you, which actually, from what I've seen, probably would be a fun drinking game. Um, You put the two switches back to back. One person's a pitcher, one's a hitter. You can actually like stare down at them over the switch like you do in real life. Wait, That's kind of the gimmick. Isn't that how it works? No. I thought one person was pitching, one person was hitting in the baseball one. And no. you put the switches back to back. I mean, there's one person pitching and one person hitting, but there's also well, two other wrong. people that are in the <laughs> outfield. It's like a little, it's like a toy thing. Like, I don't think the, I don't think that one has a hidden, like, screen where you use dual screens. It's just on the TV. Like, pretty much like. No, someone, you can put them back to back. Like, like switches. So, I've seen Nintendo promo for footage. The, for the baseball one? Yeah. So the weird, the other weird thing about Toad's Rec Room is most of the games don't require this dual switch situation. Because this one doesn't seem like it needs it whatsoever. It doesn't, but the idea is you put it back to back and you can stare at the opponent. That's kind of the gimmick of why it's uh, in the Rec Room. I don't room. see why you would want to do that I either. don't either, I'm just saying. Because the way we played it, like, I mean, it was fine. There's like someone like pulls back like a spring, kind of yeah. like a pinball table, and then they let go. And if you let go from maximum springiness, it will go super fast. If you let go not so far back, it will go a little slow. person just times A to hit it. And then the other teammates in the background, or the other teammate in the background, they just move the pillar back and forth, you know, to try to catch the ball. Right. And then that's it. Like, your character runs, and then the toad replaces them to take up that base. But So there's that. <laughs> um, yeah. And that, yeah, here you go. Here's a screenshot of the two switches, each running it from the opposite perspective. One's on the pitcher side, one's on the hitter side. very unnecessary. Yeah, and, and mostly, again, most of these if things anything, toad... I feel like... It's easier. It makes more sense just to keep it on one because that perspective from the pitcher, I mean from the catcher is in the back, like the outfield. Yeah, I feel it would be harder to catch the ball that way. I feel like it's easier to tell what's going from the TV perspective where it's like just flat. Yeah, but, but well, you know. Yeah, but it's again it's part of this gimmick they're doing, uh-huh. and then and then there's also um, the one we tried, which is uh, shell shocked. You control tanks. It's very much the tank thing from We Play. Um, but what's cool about it is you can there's three different maps so you can lay them out however you want because they're stretched or they can have the option to be stretched across both switch screens so what you do is you just put the switches side by side any which way and you swipe between them as if you're like drawing a line and it literally connects them and now suddenly they're one play field and they use that exact same technology to do the um 
banana mode. According to the website, it's called banana split, where you have these two switches. Huh? Makes sense. There's split. Yeah, there's split bananas, split images, and you have to keep moving the switches around different ways to form the banana. Then you draw a line through to confirm that's your selection, and then it tells you if you got right or not. But there's no score tracking. It's just done when it's done, and that's it. Um, And then they also have a similar thing called. uh, Well, this one's not really similar. You don't use the screens in tandem, but it's called Puzzle Hustle. I don't know. Did you try Puzzle Hustle? Yeah, that one's pretty. It was. So how does that work exactly? I I know. I know it doesn't share a same image. You do it as two independent teams, right? What? Don't you each have a different puzzle on your screen, or not independent teams? Two independent screens, and you're working together to solve the puzzle because you each have half. No. The way we did it, it was just like we were just on one giant, I guess we'll call it piece of wood, like a giant square, and there was just like bits of an eight-bit character spread around, and as a team of like three people at the time, yeah, we just all worked together to push the pieces around so that we could form that character. So there was nothing uh, split about it. We were all working together to form one image. But you had different pieces on different screens. No, they were all just there. They were just shuffled around. Oh, weird. Okay, well, it was ignore that like, one. It was as if someone threw like a jigsaw puzzle made up of four pieces, mm. but they were in the wrong place, and all three of us on one screen could work together. And if like all three of us push it from the same side, it moves really fast, versus if someone pushed it by themselves. So I don't see why it would separate you if they have that mechanic of work together to push from the same direction. Yeah, I'm just looking at the picture on Nintendo's website. Again, this is what happens when I've only played the game a little bit, but I'm looking at a picture on Nintendo's website, and it looks like you can have two switches side by side and... And like it does has different puzzle components on each switch and maybe you push those together into one image. I guess I it looks know. like there's a pipe in the middle. That seems Yeah. Really so weird. it's basically a dual version. Which is like... what I was trying to say before is you each have separate puzzles, sort of, and then you So on the TV, you just together. imagine they combine that whole space right. into one. So you guys even play them right. Which further proves I feel like that this is playing it wrong. This is um this further proves though that these modes are not really anything more than tech because like they also work without the fancy cool two switches combined which to be clear is very cool it's like some sort of weird magic like they just know you swipe between them and they just know it's like it's it's impressive but yeah um that is arguably the most interesting thing outside the main board game in mario party yeah i think i think to circle back real quick to the whole like laying the foundation thing there's a lot this game does better than any mario party has this is the first time you can ever when you go to the main game screen to actually start a mini game it lets you try it there on the screen. You don't need to hit practice. It's just there. And then when you're ready, you just hit uh, the shoulder buttons and it just launches you in. Like, you don't, there's not, like, that extra step. I mean, that's how the other Mario parties were. The only difference... No, was... you have to hit practice. You have to hit R. Oh, no. I mean, like, but they all let you demo the controls beforehand. Oh, I know, I know. But I'm saying, like, the fact that it's all combined on one screen oh, yeah, now, yeah. instead of read it, then do it, it's just there. So, yeah, because before it was, cool. like, you could, you could practice pumping, but, yeah. I, but I guess you wouldn't get a full round of the game. No. And it would yeah. be a whole, you'd, like, load up the yeah. practice. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, it is. So that's a nice improvement. They have a neat thing where they track how many uh, spaces it is to the next Stark from where you are currently. Um, there's just a lot of little nips and tucks that make the experience that much better but then there's such it's so rebooty feeling that's kind of like, okay well these are obviously going to build towards a bigger cooler thing in Super Mario Party 2 or whatever yeah. and and the UI kind of falls under that too because we were talking about how it's kind of like Apple but um, it's missing a little of the like fun it's a little stark and I imagine kind of your idea that there's laying down the groundwork it's, I imagine that would evolve or you know what maybe they don't even need to make a Super Mario Party 2 you know what would be actually kind of cool you know what I want them to do I want them to Mario Kart 8 
this thing. Give us new characters, expand it beyond Mario, throw in Link, throw in Splatoon, throw in Animal Crossing, whatever. Give us DLC of new boards, maybe a mode. Like, this has the potential to be like Mario Kart 8. I feel like they just need to actually do it. (laughs) you know what I mean like it's laying all the right groundwork like everything there is cool and everything there works and everything there feels more streamlined and efficient and minus maybe some of the animations those go on a little long oh yeah like when you get a star that was one that you were complaining about when we were playing yeah they they really like hit it home that you got a star like first there's like a star wipe that or first there's like a wipe across the screen showing everyone's sad faces then the character cheers and they show the scoreboard showing where people are now at and then like yeah, also, it's like, and then it again tells you then there's confetti, yeah, and it tells you like, oh, you are now in second place, but we just saw that, and then it's, there's confetti. It's and, weird, yeah, but it's one of those things that like I can overlook that because so much of what it does is such like quality of life improvements compared to older Mario parties that it it's fine. And I think the other thing is like you could tell the developers kind of like, yeah, we got this. This is this is the formula. This is the streamlining. This is you can there's a level of confidence in some of the things this game does where it's just like oh yeah like they were very like oh yep this is exactly how Mario Party should be I mean the fact that they it's really attention to detail stuff the fact that like when the Joy-Con rumbles when it's your turn it doesn't just rumble it plays a little jingle using the HD rumble they didn't need to do that but they're like yeah no we're doing that or like little animation quirks like or not even quirks but little touches like uh there's a whack this went viral there's a whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole minigame and Monty Mole is panicked in it because it's moles no one else has a different animation but he does or things like if you don't high five one of the recurring things in this game is you can keep high fiving each other with a swing of the joy con and if you don't high five every single character has an annoyed animation and sound like it's just all these little things that make you realize like okay these guys know they kind of got the formula right and are now experimenting within that and doing fun little things so like give them dlc give them something the return to form is working i mean there are reports out of Europe and Japan that Joy-Con inventory following the launch of this game has run extremely low or is completely gone in some places because so many people are picking this up, presumably, and having fun with, you know, the core Mario Party experience. So now just build on that. So it's like really good foundation for a potentially awesome future. Yep. Probably the best way I put it. Unless there's any other thoughts you have. No, that's pretty much everything. Yeah, so I mean it's fun. It's – I'm – I've only played a little compared to you, but from what I played, what I've seen, what you've told me about, I'm very happy with my purchase. <laughs> like it's a good starting place. Yeah. So. Although it doesn't like, I'm, it's kind of worrying that it doesn't hint. Well, I guess Marker didn't hint that there would be any DLC. Marker did not hint at all. The first yeah. DLC was a total surprise. And knowing Nintendo, it, it's only a matter of time before DLC happens with this. Like, yeah. it feels too perfect. They can splatoon it basically. Um. So yeah, that, that's uh, Mario Party. The other game that we've both been playing is Dragalia Lost, Nintendo's very first original IP on a mobile platform. Or as I like to call it, menus, the game. A lot of menus. There are a lot of menus, and jumping in and out of menus, and dialogue-only cutscenes that kind of look like menus. It's just menus on menus on menus. Like, cutscenes and their subsequent gameplay. So like, you're like, oh, I want to start this part of a chapter. The cutscene and the gameplay are separate menu items. <laughs> like everything is a menu. It's yeah, uh, there's definitely without that. Like you're in the menus way more than you are actually playing the game. Oh yeah, like even and that's even if you're actually playing the game and not leaving it on auto run mode. I mean, I kind of understand why. Like I suspect, you know, upgrading characters is all menu based. Everything's menu based. And I suspect it's because there's just so many components to juggle in this game. Like 
there's different currencies, there's different items, there's different teammates, there's different abilities you have to assign to them, you have to upgrade, like, you have to do XP. XP is handled through a menu instead of just being after a battle. Like, everything's menus. And that, that's just a free-to-play MO. Like, that's how mobile games are. So, you kind of, you know, it's a lot of barriers of entry. There's stamina you have to account for. There's yeah, in-game goals that get you extra currency. There's it is kind of annoying that you kind of have to do all that, but I mean, I get it. Like, it's free. This is what you're not yeah. paying for. <laughs> I mean, it, I, it, it's almost like you're paying for, like, uh, the luxury of the game taking care of all of this. So, by it being free, it's like, well, you want your character to get better? Well, then actually make them better. Yeah, I mean, Which, honestly, to me, it feels like there's almost too much going on. In I don't think yeah. they needed the town component. They had enough going on without the town component. Like that, that was it's fine. Sure, it's a little more depth, but that's just so many more menus again. It's just I don't know. Uh, it's like when you're done with the mission, it's like all right, you can upgrade the hero themselves. Yeah, you can also upgrade their weapon, which I guess is fine. But on top of upgrading the weapon, you can also, um, I guess you can also do something else to the weapon by fusing it with other weapons, so you can upgrade it further. There are these cards you can collect to upgrade your hero, but you can also upgrade the card themselves. And then on top of, and then besides all that, besides like getting experience through leveling up, there's a whole new menu system where like there's mana trees and the oh, and these are like mana crystals, and you have to pick each crystal individually to either upgrade your HP, your strength, get a new move, get another bit of story, and then when you complete that circle, you have to collect different materials to unlock the next ring, and that's just for that specific character that you're trying to level up. And at some point, I definitely just said screw it to getting different characters because you unlock them as it goes through the campaign anyway. And you kind of do, but I mean, in smaller no, yeah, numbers. Yeah. But like, you don't. Unlike Fire Emblem, I feel like it's less critical. I mean, here essentially, to like them the way I see something. a lot of like, I guess these kind of RPGs, at least like the way I'm taking it is, yeah, um, are pretty early on in the game, or I don't know if they gave me a tenfold summon ticket right away, or if I earned it or something. But essentially, I was able to summon, like, ten things at once. Because there's a whole menu where you get to summon heroes. Just like Again, a, a menu. Just like where there's a menu where you get to summon, like, different items. There are three separate gotcha kags going on at once. Yeah. And and the heroes, like, I happened to get a, a level four hero and a level five hero, like, right off the bat. So I'm like, all right, I'm just going to keep these in my party. And then each hero has a different element. And there's, like, a whole rock, paper, scissors mechanic going on. But... I decided I didn't want to deal with, like, upgrading, like, 20 different heroes and have, like, a balanced team every time. Right. Well, yeah, a balanced team every time. So I decided I'm just going to fully commit on these four people and never use anyone else. How's that working it, out? Um, extremely well. Good. I pretty much, these people are so jacked that even if I go to levels where the element is completely against me. Right. Like, they still mow over everything because I've just poured so much resources into just those. And only them. Because they give you what feels like enough resources to, like, split the, split the, share the love around with a, a lot of characters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they have, like, all right, to beat this level, you have to be, like, a power level, like, 2,000. But I was already, like, 39,000 by the time, like, I got, like, to those. Like, you're right. always up by, like, a significant amount that it just makes it super easy. That is a nice thing about Nintendo's uh, free-to-play games versus other companies. I know this is also half-side games, but it's Nintendo that published it. They're pretty generous. You can you can play these without spending money. I have yet to spend any money in Animal Crossing yeah, Fire Emblem at the time. I don't I was playing see it. how I would have to spend any money at all, and like for this game, yeah. like just to beat it. Like I only really care to beat it. I don't think I'm gonna play beyond. Not gonna do any the story. Of the raid quests, quests. I mean, the only like reason that. I would right now is that 
I'm in like, I believe I'm in the home stretch. I'm like on chapter six, and everything. I think seems you to got be, one more. Yeah, everything seems to be like wrapping up. But the power level on those, like, all of a sudden there was like a giant spike. Like I would go from like mowing down everything mm-hmm. to like on the later levels, like all of a sudden it's like, oh, one of my characters actually died. Right. And yeah, so it starts getting like a little relentless. But since I've literally only done the campaign, and I do every single mission along the way, but in every cutscene. Um, which are their own separate I, menu options again yeah, i know it, i said it, that it, just... it is kind of funny how like you start a chapter then you go to the level and then it's like all right i'm gonna start the level it's like oh you have to download the cutscene so you download it then you watch it yep then you have to then then now you have the option to pick an actual level then you have to download that level then you play it. and by the time you play the level it's about 20 seconds compared to the five minute lead time you just went through yeah the they levels, get longer yeah, as it goes on but... yeah the levels do go by pretty fast overall yeah. but it's funny, yeah. you know, what I find funny about this is we talk so much about the menus and about the, like, loadouts, and essentially, and about the load times and this, that, and next thing. But when you actually do get past all that to the core gameplay, it's actually pretty f- fun and fluid. And yeah, that's kind of I enjoy the only thing that keeps me coming back is just that yeah. it's fun. Like, I don't really leave it on autoplay mode just because I, yeah, I, like, I, I, I did, like, running around and... Mm-hmm. If you run, like, a little long enough, you go into your max speed. We like to do a little, like, tackle attack. And you're, like, you have, like, a little, like, four-tap combo that you consider brainless. But if you don't tap your combo all the way, you could swipe to dodge at any point in the combo to interrupt it. So you could, like, pretty much dodge attacks that maybe the computer wouldn't really normally do. Yeah. And then, you on top of that, you also have, like, your special ability that you can actually, whenever, almost use it, like, uh, I'm about to get an attack thrown my way that I know I can't dodge. I'm just going to use this ability to pretty much get invincibility so I could power through it. Then you also have the ability to turn to a dragon, which... There's a lot going on. Like, a lot of little fun animations, but all your other side characters could also do that. So, mm-hmm. if you want to, like, switch around, you could just tap the little character profile and pick them. You know, what? one thing that I thought was really cool is you can actually... They have, like, an asynchronous multiplayer, kind of, where you can tap in, so to speak, to a friend's power. Like, something they did in their own game, you can, like, assign to, as you go through a level, oh, yeah. just an extra I, button. Yeah, every time you start a new level, it, it always lets you pick a partner, yeah. like a friend. Or and a stranger if you don't have yeah, friends. Or a stranger, yeah. And I've always just picked stranger, and I just always pick whoever has the highest power level. Yeah. And, I mean, that's worked out nicely. But it's cool because if you do have a friend who's going through the game with you, hypothetically, you your progress is independent when you play is independent. Like, this is the best type of, like, mobile game multiplayer, in my opinion. You're, you're completely doing it on your own time, doing your own thing. But something they achieve in their game can benefit you, and something you achieve in your game can benefit them. And it's kind of at their discretion, which is kind of yeah. neat. Like, it's very... It's probably one of the cooler multiplayer implementations I've seen Nintendo do on a mobile game. And what's actually really weird is then Nintendo's super aggressive about friending people afterward. Like, Nintendo usually is like, oh, you can friend people if you want. But as soon as you're done with a game, a level where you have used a stranger's ability, it's like, do you want to friend this person? You should probably friend this person. Are you sure you want? We, you, you should friend this guy. And it's just like, wow, Nintendo's never been yeah, like that. The story, but it's cool. They, they do throw a lot of exposition at you that it gets pretty so much that it gets pretty heavy that i feel like i can't really play this game for more than 20 minutes at a time yeah which it's fine because i don't mind revisiting it every day to get like the daily it's almost like animal crossing in that sense i like, go through the mm-hmm. grind collect the coins mm-hmm. blah 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 and even though like right now um since i'm close to the end but my characters are starting to like die once in a while like i'll beat the level but it's like i barely beat it right i do like that they throw so many side quests at you you collect so many side stories that you can literally just grind those and level up so that you can just blow right, through the right. later levels again. So I might do that. Just like, all right, I'll look at some of the backstory. Something about the whole experience, just, I don't know. I, but yeah, I think 
it comes down to the game is, itself is just fun enough to make me tolerate yeah, it, all the gotcha stuff. And it has kind of like it, it's simple. So first of all, it just really controls well. Like you're all. I'm always hesitant with mobile games where the control, like they're trying to mimic a real game, but the touch might feel weird. But this this is good because it's like. You just drag to move, you swipe to dodge, you tap to attack. That's basically the core of it. But you don't actually have to do what you did in the old days of the DS where you have to like specifically drag exactly your finger where you want the character to go and then hit the enemy with your finger. You could just have it like in the corner of the screen and just kind of move around like a fake analog stick almost, yeah, but of your choosing, which makes it a lot more like... I don't know. It seems like it just made it way more playable than I expected. Although I did for the first while there keep doing it like how nintendo has taught me for years which is oh, i have to tap the enemy himself so i'd be like tapping and my character would be nowhere near him because i'm like tapping the enemies but yeah I, that like that works and then it also kind of i don't know maybe it's just me but i get a kind of final fantasy crystal chronicle vibe from this whole experience like the action rpg-ness the fact that you're in like close quarters and you're just kind of going from emmy to emmy i mean maybe part of it's also the chibi art style it has a very Actually, pretty nice looking chibi art style. Um, the feet kind of remind me of Fire Emblem Awakening. Yeah, they remember the lack of feet. Yeah. yeah, but besides that, like that plus the real time combat is very much Crystal Chronicles, just with as Angel you were saying, you know, the dragons and the special abilities and all this other stuff on top of it. But and the friend thing, which I think oh, is kind of cool. Free, yeah, fun. yeah, it's worth trying. Yeah, it's just be ready to download a lot of things. That is my one kind of issue with it but they do a lot in this that turned out to be really savvy and smart of them i think the fact that they do allow so much of it to be autoplay like if you want to get into the granularity of team leveling and building and all that and have 20 characters you can or if you want the game to assign levels for them you can or if you want to just do four like you're doing angel you can't like they're really there's a lot of Options. There's a lot to let you do what you want, but the the one thing that's really annoying is they figured all that out. They have great production values. It looks great. The music, while super animated, is like super high quality. The one thing they couldn't do is keep this game small, and that that's kind of annoying. Like it, you are downloading things a lot. You are constantly downloading. There is an option if you go deep into the menus to download a bunch of stuff in bulk. But but here's the thing: this game initially is over two gigs, and you are downloading. 12 megabytes here, 4 megabytes there, half a meg here, half a meg there, like constantly. This thing will eat up your memory if you don't have a big phone. I mean, for me, I have 256 gigs on my iPhone. I'm fine. And I and like you, you have unlimited data, or did. Do you still have unlimited data? You still... um, I thought I do. Okay, yeah, so you're fine with the downloads. Like, it's no big deal. But I can imagine it being kind of annoying if you don't have unlimited data, or if you do have limited storage. And I suspect, ultimately, Nintendo may try and circumvent that, um... What they did with Fire Emblem Heroes in an update this month is they just came out with a light mode, they're calling it. It's going to sacrifice some animation, some sound. Um, there's going to be graphic simplifications. And that's going to result in Fire Emblem, should you choose to get the light version, be 75% smaller than Fire Emblem Heroes that we all have. And I would imagine that Dragalia Lost is going to follow this pattern. Because this whole idea of light apps is really... It's kind of a common thing. Facebook does it. Twitter does it. Um, a lot of play, a lot of companies do it to have these apps be more accessible in places maybe where the data isn't as easily accessible. It's like emerging markets. And Dragalia Lost could benefit not just to help us, but also this thing's kind of a big hit. 
According to Sensor Tower analytics firm um, that tracks this app data, Dragalia Loss has made over 16 million bucks in two weeks. So even though you and I didn't find a reason to spend money, apparently a lot of people did. That's a bigger debut by about $4 million than what Animal Crossing um, Pocket Camp had last November. So, and, that, and that's just to be clear, that's just in the few places that Dragalia Lost has launched. It's not as big of a launch. But now if Nintendo were to figure out the kinks of the loading thing, which is I feel like the only hindrance, they could push this game out all sorts of different markets and really have it blow up. Because now, as of right now in Japan, Dragalia Lost has helped Nintendo for the first time ever have two top 10 top grossing apps. Fire Emblem, Dragalia. On um, iOS, Fire Emblem's at number 4, Dragalia's at number 10. On Google Play, interestingly, Dragalia's at number 4, while Fire Emblem's at number 6. Wow. So there is interest in this. There is demand in this for this. They just need to figure out those load times. That's really the one hindrance. That's probably my biggest pet peeve. Like, the menus, sure, that comes with the territory, but the load times, that just seems excessive. So if they can work that out, cool. That's a huge uh, opening for them to expand this thing and make it really a huge property for them. In the meantime, for those of us that have it, it's it's just a nuisance, I guess, right? Yeah. But so so let me ask you this, uh, not to get on my whole weird sales soapbox for a second, but so you're almost at the end. If they come out with more like core chapters, not raids, but if they if they expand the story, are you actually gonna keep playing? Are you hooked enough, or are you just kind of seeing it through because you got this far? You just want to have some sense of conclusion. Um, I'm just seeing it through. Okay, yeah, because I'm I'm not I, quite. I, I enjoy it enough, but not enough to. Actually, I'm interested enough just because it's like a, the fact that Nintendo made this. Right. But, that's, that's what got me initially interested. But beyond that, it's like, I'm just going to go back to Hearthstone and whatever else I right. do. Yeah, because I feel like when we, you know, when we do our game... Not so much for this, though. I, um, I have been 14 days sober of Smash Brothers. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. You, get, you know if you go 30 days, you get a little, a little pendant. I'll I'll, make, I'll forge one out of tinfoil and give it to you. <laughs> but uh, no, the reason I asked if you're going to keep playing is because we always, when we do our game impressions, like, oh yeah, do we recommend buying it? You don't buy this. It's free. So it's really like, is it compelling enough to keep you interested? Yeah. And I think I don't know I'm in the same boat is, as you. It is, yeah. but it's compelling enough to try. I Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, the menu... To be honest, when you first download this thing, it's kind of overwhelming because you have so many menus, and then you have overlays on top of the menus explaining all the menus, and it's all very rapid fire. So you have menus yeah, on menus on menus, explain, then gotchas, and it's just like, yeah, what is happening? At least they do explain everything, they do. and they do hold your hand pretty hard. Like, literally, they do. you can't even tap anything else because you unlock everything gradually, so mm-hmm. you can't even really get lost in it because you don't even really even have the option to. Yeah, if you if anyone listening that's interested in Dragalia has played Fire Emblem Heroes, it's the basic, the onboarding as the term goes is basically the same like it where it really pinpoints you specific things and it, it makes it very easy to get into but there is a lot there and then it just keeps piling on and there's menus on menus and but it is fun the core gameplay inside it is fun and if you're like a stat junkie, nintendo hero though oh yeah but if you're like a stat junkie or something i think you'll or a big rpg fan i think you'll find a lot to like yeah. in this for me i don't even to be honest i don't even know if i'm gonna make it through the entire quest but so far i have found it enjoyable for sure so yeah. So that's Tregalia. That's Mario Party. That's our episode. Unless there's any little things you want to throw in as a curveball at the last second here. Um. Sweet. Friday the Thirteenth came out for free on the PS4. Friday the Thirteenth has a puzzle game on the Switch. Yeah. So I, what? I was hoping it would be the same thing, but apparently not. Yeah. How is how is that Friday the Thirteenth game? Because it looks. I mean, I know it's not Nintendo yet. It might come to Switch, but yeah. it's a cool concept. Honestly, from I feel I've like seen. it's a game that would actually fit pretty nicely on the Switch. Yeah. It's just asynchronous multiplayer, and it's just really fun. Like it's really fun that one person is the killer and everyone else is like 
the camper there? Did they kind of run away? I think away? you mean asymmetrical, right? Not asynchronous. Because you are playing against yeah, people in real time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You're just doing different tasks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Asymmetrical, my bad. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's just cool. Like, as the camper, you have to, like, scurry around the campground to, like, find the keys, to start the car, to get the gasoline and the battery. And if you do happen to find all those, like, I like how it's like a little mini game to like put the gas in or like to start the car takes forever to start it because it's like that cliche that the car won't start Mm -hmm. and if you're jason you're chasing these people around and as you're chasing them the music gets intense and their fear meter goes up and if you catch them you pretty much insta kill them huh sound like story of my life too so pretty much like if yeah you're just trying to escape a lot right like if you escape you win you yourself win but someone else could still lose like jason doesn't lose if just one of the campers gets away. Jason just wins if he happens to kill one person. But, I mean, if you're that person that wants everyone to die, then, yeah, then that's your goal. And, I mean, it's fun. It's, it sounds like it'd be great on Switch. You could tell they definitely cared about the source material because it's like, there's a Jason for each movie and each Jason's a little bit different and the campgrounds is a couple different ones and, I don't know, I never really played a game like this. I know there's a game on Steam called Dead by Daylight that's very similar but this one it's different enough I feel that it stands out yeah it stands out and I just like the different way like I like how they kind of explain Jason's weird powers cause like I mean in kind of like in typical horror movies like you're the killer's right behind you you're running like crazy you jump over stuff and then you turn around and he's right there right like they kind of like let you see that cause essentially he has like a shift ability where it's like pretty much your screen goes all kind of ghostly and you just like travel extremely fast Hmm. And so, do you just like tell what direction to go, and then you're just there, or are you actually controlling? No, no, it you're controlling it. it, it okay. it's, it's yeah. like a car on auto drive. Like, so you oh, can't gotcha. stop it, and it just moves really fast, and you're just controlling it, and you could cancel out of it at any point. So you could be like chasing a camper, and they might be losing you, and then they'll be like, "All right, cool, I'm safe," but you like already drove way past them in front of them, right? And you're just waiting for them around the corner. And if you don't want to give away your position, you could activate your stock ability, which shuts down all the music. So all they hear is just the environment noises, so they don't know that they're running right into you, and you can just pop out in front of them and scare them. And so, them. so realistically, visually, I guess would be the hold up. Could this could switch handle this? Could it come it to switch? Like it could. I mean, it seems like a almost like a PS3 era game. Oh well, maybe with some. I mean, the thing it might lose is just like a lot of the reflective effects. Right. Like or so, so it's not the fidelity, basically. Yeah, which doesn't really matter. And one cool thing that I notice this does that I'm pretty sure other games do but I just found it really neat is that it uses proximity audio in the sense that like you there's voice chat I've, ch- I've talked to random people I but, but since you're like campers running around a campground you can't just yell out to someone like oh I found the car keys and then everyone like cooperates like you can only talk to other people if you're near them so if you're running next to someone that's the only time you can communicate with them and if Jason's near that's you really then cool. you can like talk to Jason unless you find the walkie talkie but if someone else finds a walkie-talkie, then you can only talk to them. Right, right. So you have to hope that more people find walkie-talkie. So that's really cool. I, th- I thought that was a really clever way of I would of using that audio without like, yeah, a lot of you use audio without like having to ruin the experience or the tension because there's right. obviously tension there. Yeah, I would love to see us on Switch. So, so who, I don't even know who makes it, but whoever I mean, does, bring I mean, it. I mean, it was a Kickstarter game that eventually made its way to pcs and then playstation right. and xbox so I, I don't see why i can't make it a switch they're probably and already trying there i mean they got they 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 sort of put their toe in the water with the puzzle friday the 13th puzzle game 940 different puzzles or yeah, something i mean like it's that. a it's a literally an online only game there's no campaign or anything right. so it's kind of like splatoon in that sense mm-hmm. i mean there is a campaign in splatoon but no, I know the focus yeah. is that so it could work yeah and i guess and there's people i would definitely like to play this with because not everyone has a ps i i as jason Even would like to free. play as jason 
Yeah, and it's free. So, well, for a month. If you have a PS4, obviously get it. There's no reason not to. Yeah. And if not, then hopefully wait for Switch and it might come there eventually. I think it's going to come to Switch because you couldn't have said any better, but Jason doesn't lose. And I only have a Switch and I can't lose, apparently. So. Yeah, as long as you kill one so person, I'm gonna, it is possible. Right. So if Jason doesn't lose, if Jason can't lose, that means I can't lose out on seeing yeah, this. Actually, it will come to Switch. I actually QED. tweeted a clip <laughs> a few days ago, or maybe last week, of my first time playing as Jason. Mm hmm. And I was chasing someone. They knocked me down, and then another player decided to teabag me. Like, and I'm on like video what? games. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> and then they started running away. Yeah. And I just tried to point in front of them and kill them. And they were the first and only kill I got, but it was a very deserving kill. So. That's Thank you it. for uh, giving honor to my name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. You know, fittingly, our next episode's Halloween weekend, so it, it's fitting that we or well, Halloween's on Wednesday. No, yeah, it's on Wednesday. It's the weekend going into Halloween. So it's fitting that we're now ending this one, talking Halloween stuff as we go into the next one. So we'll be back. What I'm saying is we'll be back October 28th with a new episode. We're, of course, going to have I know, we're Friday the 12th. We're so close to a Friday the 13th. But ah, that's true. This year. episode goes up on the 14th, too. Well, whatever. <laughs> we completely we, we just whiffed it. But, uh, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks' time with impressions, with news, whatever happens. I, I feel like we should do something Halloween-related, maybe favorite horror games. I don't know. We'll talk about it. But uh, to make sure you guys don't miss that, you can subscribe to us on a whole host of podcasting apps, including a brand new one. We are now on Spotify, the world's number one streaming service. So if you search Random Town on Spotify, you can follow us. You can listen to us. You can literally love us. There's a heart you can press, and you'll love us, quite literally. Um, and, of course, we're, as, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, you name it, we're there. Um, YouTube, of course, at RamNintendo.com. So make sure to subscribe to us and follow us on those places. You can also follow us on Twitter at RamNintendo, as we may tweet out things in between. Who knows? If nothing else, you'll get alert about the episode. Um, I think that just about does it. Oh, oh yeah. If you care about anything that – I mean you mentioned, Angel, that you, you post stuff on your Twitter about Friday 13th. You can follow him at Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. I didn't mention what I do on my Twitter, but you can follow it at JSR7. And yeah, that does it. So we will be back October 28th, and um, I got nothing. You got anything? No, that's it. All right, that's it. That's it. <laughs>